Hi, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> uh, we have such a treat for you today. All of us are, are going to be just so blessed by what we experience today. I think this is a, a day where we go light years ahead on our spiritual journey into an experience, a state of mind that is a state of mind that we share with God. And there can be nothing holier than having your heart and your mind lined up with the Creator, with God. And that has to be the, the most glorious experience that there ever could be. And we have an opportunity today, I think, uh, the reason Jesus is giving us this movie is because it, it cuts across all the objections of the ego. It, it gives us a glimpse into all the aspects of resistance that we have had towards surrendering our will to see that our will and God's will for perfect happiness are the same. And it shows us aspects of the ego that we've guarded and we've protected and we've tried to keep, even though it brought us misery and suffering and sadness and hurt. I know it sounds ridiculous, but, uh, you know, Jesus tells us the secret of salvation is but this, you are doing this to yourself. <laughs> so on one hand, we don't have anyone to blame. And on the other hand, it's good news because we can simply accept the correction, release the ego and be happy. Uh, it's, it's really that simple. Now, it may seem to be difficult in practice, but I assure you it's much more difficult to try to maintain the ego and to try to live according to the ego's belief system than it is to let it go. I know many people perceive the spiritual journey as a, as a journey of sacrifice. And, you know, when when they make a New Year's resolution, they kind of have a little grumble, like, what have I got to give up now? What now? What next? As if it's a journey of sacrifice, and you have to keep sacrificing every year until you make the ultimate sacrifice of time and space. <laughs> so you've got to, oh my God, he wants me to give up linear time now. What's When does it end? But um, actually, it's not a journey of sacrifice. Uh, when we open our hearts up and we open our minds up, we start to realize that we've had everything inside of us all along and we just had kept it hidden and denied from awareness. And once we let it up into awareness in its glory and its fullness, then we just realize with one little sigh, oh my God, I was so mistaken about everything. <laughs> that's, that's the little sigh at the end, the little whimper. Oh. Gosh, I was mistaken about everything. Wasn't I wasn't correct about one thing on earth. I wasn't correct about one thing in time and space. I was completely mistaken. <laughs> Absolutely, completely mistaken about everything. And of course, when you're that mistaken about everything, you're clueless. And when you're clueless, you are happy because you cannot understand this world and you cannot ultimately understand time and space, but you can forgive them. 
And that's what A Course in Miracles is teaching us how to do, how to practically trust in God, follow guidance, let go of the ego, let go of attachments, let go of judgments, not because we're trying to be special or good or right, but just because judgment is not something God created. So when we try to judge, when we try to have opinions, we're trying to hold on to something that God didn't create and doesn't even know about. We're just doing to ourselves. We're giving ourselves a whammy, <laughs> an opinion and judgment whammy. And, you know, that's not going to work. If, you're, if you want to be happy, you have to let go of all opinions. So this week you voted on themes that, that you would like to use with the movie to come into this state of, of happiness and this, this state of grace. And also when I was praying about the movie, uh, I was really open. I always like to keep the movies very relevant uh, to what everybody's going through and experiencing. And so just like with Fatima, you know, Mother Mary appeared to the children up there in Fatima, Portugal, uh, during the war. It was a very gruesome uh, war going on in Europe when Mother Mary appeared in, in all dressed in white. And I love that. Don't you love that? Out of all the centuries, Mother Mary is given to make an appearance. In, it's in Europe during the war, during the World War. You see how beautiful that was? She came and she came to the children and asked everybody to pray for peace. And wasn't that practical during a world war in Europe to have Mother Mary appear and say, please join me and pray for peace. So, I know a lot of you have been following the news and some of you live over in uh, Europe and the Middle East and people who live all over the world are, are quite concerned about some recent uh, events during the past week over in uh, Ukraine. And, and this is perfect. This is, this is how Jesus helps us. He gives us a movie and he's going to give us commentary <laughs> to help us deal with the scenes that we're perceiving around uh, the Ukraine situation, we'll call it, uh, the invasion of, of Russia coming, coming down into parts of uh, Ukraine, into many parts of Ukraine. And uh, people sometimes say, you know, I really, I'm into God and I'm into spirit and I really want to practice the course, but it gets intense when I'm watching the news and I'm watching bombs going off or I'm watching bullets flying. I'm watching uh, scenes of bloodshed, um, uh, scenes of armored tanks. Uh, you know, it's, I, I go through my practice with the course, I do my prayers, but uh, I really would like to go a lot deeper because I really would like to know our prayers answered. Uh, how can I best help uh, myself and the whole world. How can I best help all my brothers and sisters in, in the most helpful way? And I think sometimes when we have a scene, we, when we see what seems to be war scenes, you know, we really, uh, this is the time where we, we really get to see what our belief system is. We really get to take a close look at our thoughts 
as we're watching the images, you know, we really get to watch what our thoughts are. Some of you who are practicing the workbook lessons of the Course in Miracles, if you if you started on the first day of the year, January first, it's getting into it's a review section right now. But um, basically, I was I was looking at some of the review thoughts recently this uh, these last few days, and one of them was my attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. Uh, that's an interesting review lesson to have while there seems to be an invasion of a country and a war, uh, outbreak of a war during a pandemic in, in 2022, and then synchronistically to have my attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is basically teaching us in the course that that we are spirit, and when we identify with spirit, when we identify with the Christ in us, when we identify with the light, when we identify with the kingdom of heaven, that is our strength, that is our invulnerability. And to the extent that we identify with the ego, which is a make-believe false self, with the ego, which in Christian terms is Satan, <laughs> not the best use of your mind to, uh, to say, here, Satan, have uh, wreak havoc on my mind. That is not the best use of prayer, I will tell you. <laughs> Do not, I would not advise that. Uh, basically, when we, when we give our mind to fear, when we give our mind to the ego, which is a death wish, then we identify with the body and we identify with all the bodies. We don't just identify with one body, we identify with all of them. And when some of them start getting shot and killed and bombed, we don't feel good because of the ego identification. The ego, uh, it can feel afraid, it can feel hurt, it can feel angry, it can feel shattered, it can feel rejected, it can feel abandoned, but our mind, experiences these emotions when we identify with the ego. That's why we're all here having this beautiful Mary Magdalene movie today with Jesus's commentary coming through to help us in the most practical way. This isn't about shutting your eyes and trying to blind yourself to world events. This is actually start taking a close look at what do I think and what do I feel? And underneath that, I would say, what do I believe? Some of you have seen my levels of mind diagram. It's the belief, the belief that's under our thoughts. It's the belief that's under our emotions. It's the belief in the ego that is disturbing to our peace of mind. And here we are. We're here to learn from, from Jesus today. We're here to learn from Mary Magdalene today and the apostles. Uh, Many times over the last 36 years, I mean, I've traveled all over the world many times over, and people, people will ask me a lot of questions. And I have been traveling during uh, different seeming outbreaks of wars. Uh, believe me, in the last 36 years, there's been a few wars on planet Earth. <laughs> and, and I've been out and about uh, globetrotting during these uh, outbreaks of war. But um, 
if you go a little deeper into the situation for healing, a lot of times people will, will ask me, David, do you think the world is getting worse? Or do you think the world is getting better? And I said, well, it's, it's a projection of the ego. And so as a projection of the ego, it's an illusion. And, and there are no better or worse illusions. <laughs> so my answer to everybody is, is, is the world getting worse? No, it's not. And is the world getting any better? No, it's not. <laughs> it's a mirror. So it's a reflection of consciousness. It's just a reflection of consciousness. When you heal, when you forgive, you see the world differently. When you don't want to forgive, when you want to be right about an opinion, taking a side, knowing something about the world, it's basically saying that you, you're looking through a darkened glass, which it talks about in the Bible, in Corinthians, you're looking through a darkened glass, and you would rather continue looking through the darkened glass than be at peace. What is the darkened glass? It's the fragmented glass of, of distorted perception. It's the, it's, it's got dark spots all over it. You can't see hard, you can't see anything clearly when you look through the lens of the ego. You're seeing a projection of error is what the world is. It's a projection of error. God didn't create war. God doesn't create conflict. God didn't create fighting. God doesn't create a, a fear and upset. These are projections of the ego. And let's, let's make no mistake, this cosmos and this world is a projection of the ego. Some of us, of course, we read the Bible when we were growing up. Some of us grew up as good little Christians. And we, were, we read Genesis, right? You know, first book of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, it's half right. God created the heavens. <laughs> God, I'm talking about eternal spirit. That's what heavens are. It's not, I'm not talking about the sky and stars and planets and gases. I'm talking about eternal spirit. God is the creator of reality. And when you fall asleep and you forget that reality, you are perceiving a dream of separation. And that dream of separation is coming from the ego. And the ego invented this world. So when we're watching the news, just remember, you're watching the ego's invention. How you react is your choice. But just remember that God had nothing to do with what you are perceiving. Because God doesn't know of separation. Love doesn't know of fear. The Bible tells us perfect love casts out fear. That's exactly right. So once you come into alignment with the source, that's the perfect love, and fear is cast out for good. In fact, it's never, it's not even there. <laughs> cast out is being kind to it. It's, it just, it doesn't seem to exist anymore. <laughs> it's not like a big war going on. I will cast you out fear. No, love is laughing. <laughs> it's like, this is no battle. This is just love being itself is, is what reality is. So I know um, people have asked me this uh, when um, I've been traveling around the world, when different countries have been invaded or so, so on and so forth. Well, let's just talk a little bit about invasion. Uh, 
I think one of my interesting movies, some of you will have to do a movie gathering with me some week uh, with a movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> some of you don't like those kind of movies, but I, I swear we would just use it for healing. And the only reason Invasion of the Body Snatchers would be scary to you is if you're identified with the body. To me, it's a comedy. I actually think it's one of the best uh, comedy movies because sometimes they come up with a, one of these body snatcher movies where this beautiful presence takes over the bodies and all the humans are horrified and, and crime goes down, everything gets peaceful and loving and everyone's terrified by all that peace. <laughs> they, they were addicted to the drama, <laughs> to the dramas of the world. When it gets peaceful, they're like, oh, that's terrible. Something's taken over the humans. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Let's let the Holy Spirit take over the humans. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> that's the point of the course. Yeah, I think we do a lot better if we let the Holy Spirit uh, and Jesus handle the humans. So people have been, there was a woman uh, who wrote in from Prague over in Europe, and she wrote to Francis, and Francis told me about it. She said, she, she wrote to Francis, she said, have you and David done any teachings on what's happening in Ukraine? Um, do you have anything? Well, a couple years ago, we got a lot of messages coming in. Do you have any teachings on the pandemic? And so um, this week, uh, this, a, a nice, sincere message came in from this woman in, in Prague saying, could you do a teaching on uh, on what's happening in uh, in Ukraine. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I'll let Jesus handle that. Sure enough, here we are, Saturday. It's days later, Jesus is ready for his teaching on Ukraine. Using Mary Magdalene, isn't that great? What better way to go at the whole thing than Mary Magdalene? You know, that's got to be the best answer. I've never seen one news report that says, now let's let's go to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene to see if we can find a solution here. Not I've not heard one news report <laughs> say that, but Jesus actually is going to do that today. Um, one thing people are really disturbed about is this idea of of a country occupying another country, taking over another country by force, and then occupying that other country. You know, it's like the ego is just a belief, but once we believed in the ego, it's been occupying our minds for millennium. <laughs> it's about time uh, we forgive this mistake, this tiny mad idea, because talk about an occupation. We have a forceful occupation going on in our mind by an alien will, the ego, a death wish, and... Uh, and we're the Christ, we're eternal life. So are we going to allow this death wish to occupy our mind so fully? That's what, when you have anger coming up around what's happening in Ukraine, that's where the anger is. It's like, it's forgive yourself for letting the ego belief in your mind. That's really what's going on. When you're upset, when you're watching images from Ukraine, Remember that your own mind has, has a seeming occupation and you've allowed that. You've basically allowed it to forcefully take over where it is. it has no business. It does not belong in our holy mind. 
it, it, it actually cannot be in our holy mind. Once we recognize our holiness, the ego is gone. So perfect love casts out fear. That's where we have to rid ourselves of the occupation. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, that's, now that's deep, David. I've, I've never talked to anybody about Ukraine and, and talked about the occupation in my mind, but can you give us a, something a little more practical, a little more relatable? Oh, sure, I'd love to do it. I don't have to just stick to uh, cherry pie and my Instagram account getting uh, uh, hacked and deleted. I can give you some, some good examples for the Ukraine situation. Okay, maybe you're upset because you believe that it's the, that Ukraine is being unfairly attacked and occupied. Let's roll back in history. Let's go back to Gandhi. Let's go back to Gandhi in India. I think some of you remember that Gandhi lived in India during a time where his country, India, was completely occupied as well, <laughs> right? And it wasn't Indians that were occupying it. It was Great Britain. It was the British that were occupying it. And Gandhi, a lot of you have ever read his autobiography or you've watched the movie Gandhi, you know that that part of his mission after he came back from South Africa was to set his country free from occupation. And there was one point in Gandhi's life where Gandhi was asked the question because he was, he was doing things like making salt by the sea when it was illegal to make salt by the sea. It was against the British law. Uh, he, was, he was organizing um, fasting and hunger strikes. He was, he was organizing non-resistance as a power to free India. And one time someone asked Gandhi, they said, Gandhi, are you a saint? trying to become a politician. And Gandhi just smiled and said, oh no, that's backwards. I'm a politician trying to become a saint. That's what, what Gandhi said. You see how, how practical that is for us here? Are you, are you someone who believes in politics? Are you someone who believes in countries? Are you someone who believes in the sovereign right of countries or the sovereign right of people? Or are you one who would rather learn how to be in alignment with God and learn how to perceive the world differently, that your kindness could extend to everyone and everything? That's pretty strong. We all know Gandhi is very much of a symbol of, of, of a very religious man. And he said, I'm a politician trying to become a saint. That's right, Gandhi, he knew about uh, Ramana Maharshi. He knew about Paramahansa Yogananda. He knew Vivekananda. He knew the saints were so deep into their love of God that they transcended the ego politics and drama, the ego perceptions of the world. He knew that his soul needed to be free. It, it actually wasn't India, it was his soul. <laughs> and this is where the teachings of Jesus are so deep because Jesus 
came and he came to free our soul. He came to free our mind, our sleeping mind from the ego belief in time and space. Jesus came to remind us we have a spiritual kingdom. He came to remind us that we, we never really needed to get angry because there was never a good reason for anger because we were never mistreated. We were just perceiving our own belief system, ego belief system, and then we were reacting as if something external to us was doing it to us. And Jesus was saying, no, no, that's not the case. You, the secret of salvation is you're doing this to yourself. So great example, Gandhi, he used peace, nonviolence, he used his time to communicate. When, when they, he was thrown into jail, he just exchanged vegetarian recipes with the guards and the other prisoners in prison. <laughs> and, and he wrote, he wrote a, most of his writings, he wrote while he was in prison. Now that's, that's a politician trying to become a saint. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to move towards recognition of who you are, is to use your time in alignment with the spirit. He was not even uh, unhappy when they arrested him because what he was writing was what was declared to be sedition, was declared to be against the government. And then he, he said, if this, what I'm writing about equality, about nonviolence, about love, if that's against the law, here, take me. You could put me in prison. I would rather continue my writings in prison than, than to change and, and try to believe in an upside down world. So Gandhi is a great example. But let's roll the clock back. Let's go back to the time of Jesus because Jesus and Mary Magdala lived in Judea. And some of you know that Judea was, was home to the, to the Jews, to the Jewish religion, to the Torah, the great traditions. But when Jesus appeared there 2,000 years ago, and when Mary Magdala appeared 2,000 years ago, actually Judea was occupied by the Romans. They weren't coming forcefully trying to take over the country. They, had, they were there. They were ruling it. And where in, in the Ukraine, yes, there's bombs going off. Yes, there's bullets flying. Yes, there's destruction happening. But let's roll it back 2,000 years ago to the days of Jesus and Mary Magdala. The Romans ruled the whole area. They were the governing force. And instead of just shooting somebody, they didn't have guns back then, but they did have swords and they would crucify people upside down. They would stick them on a cross and let them hang upside down and bleed to death for days. So when people say the world is so barbaric, it's never been so barbaric. Uh, no, 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 let's, let's see. Jesus and Mary were, were here with us at a time when there were upside down crucifixions. So, Everything that we're perceiving now is really nothing new. When everybody, someone's talking about the news of what's happening with Ukraine, they have to realize this is the things of time and space. This is the ego's world. This ego world is barbaric because 
The inventor of the world is barbaric. This, this world is a world of sickness, death, pain, and suffering because the ego invented all of those things. God didn't create sickness, pain, suffering. God has nothing to do with these things. It's the ego belief that has projected out this world. And that's why in the workbook of A Course in Miracles, Jesus says, when I am healed, I am not healed alone. It's a perceptual problem. Looking through a darkened glass is a perceptual problem. So it may seem in, in your lifetime, the hardest thing you will ever do is just one tiny thing. And that's to admit that you have a perceptual problem. <laughs> so I want all of us today <laughs> to join together in, in being willing to admit it's a perceptual problem. It's a problem with the lens that we're looking through. And it's a problem in looking through the body's eyes and the five senses because that God didn't create the body or the body's eyes or the five senses. We have a perceptual problem. Now, that is going to be the most spectacular thing you will ever do is just to admit that you have a perceptual problem. But what does that mean? It means that you have to admit you don't have financial problems, you don't have body health issues, you don't have emotional, psychological issues, you, you don't have other kinds of problems. A problem that, that your cat left a, a little doo-doo on your kitchen floor. No, it's a perceptual problem. The problem of, of Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, no, it's a perceptual problem. The problem of the pandemic. No, it's a perceptual problem. You see, the ego made the world so that problems could not be solved. If you're perceiving the problems where, where they aren't, it would be like going to a movie theater and walking out of, a, out of the movie saying, I don't like it. That movie is too violent for me. I'm leaving. And Jesus says in your mind, well, actually, the violence is the ego belief system in the mind. And I'm with you to help you undo and forgive this ego belief system. So we're so used to perceiving a world where all the characters and all the places and all the, the different faces all seem to be witnessing that the dream is real. And Jesus is saying, no, the mind that is dreaming has forgotten that it's dreaming and now it's playing a character and now it's perceiving everything around it in a problematic way. It's seeing political problems, it's seeing race problems, it's seeing gender issues, it's seeing uh, all types of diseases and threats, it's seeing economic issues, it's seeing everything as if it's a real issue, but it's not acknowledging that it's a perceptual problem. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit have to wait until you make that admission. As soon as you're willing to admit that you have a perceptual problem, your life is going to get interesting. You're going to have the best adventure with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, seriously, really, I'm sincere. If you, if you admit you have a perceptual problem, you are in for the ride of a lifetime. It's going to be as... 
espectacular, as they say in Espanol. You will have a spectacular life once you get out of the driver's seat and you admit, I have a perceptual problem. Because once you admit you have a perceptual problem, then you're going to let the Holy Spirit and Jesus show you the correction. But if you want to be right about all these other issues, relationship issues, uh, economic issues, political issues, you know, redrawing boundaries, whether it's political boundaries or country boundaries, um, putting embargoes on, putting uh, restrictions on, all these kinds of things that are part of the world, you have to just say, oh my gosh, I have a perceptual problem. That's, that's the problem. And, and the, the solution to Ukraine is within my grasp, in my mind, if, if I want it so. I can actually see the world with the Holy Spirit in Jesus and bring an end to the war forever. And Jesus says that in the Course. He says, the war against yourself is almost over. Isn't that lovely? The war against yourself is almost over. You're the Christ, but you forgot that you're the Christ, and now you seem to be at war with your identity. But you're not really at war, because the right mind, where the Holy Spirit is, that's a reflection of your reality. And the wrong mind is not you and never was you. You were never the ego. You were never the ego. You may have believed it was you, but it wasn't really you. God has not changed God's mind. You're the Christ, and that's a fact. And there's nothing that changes God's mind. Because God is the creator. You, <laughs> that is definitely not changing. So now I can choose to change my mind and accept my divinity. And that's what, mother, that's what Mary Magdala and Jesus are all about. So here are the, the themes that you voted on this week. This is what you voted on. First thing, letting go of the belief in abandonment and rejection. That, that's a big ego uh, defense against the truth, the belief in abandonment and rejection. And it's one thing to talk about it, but, but when you come down to actually taking the steps in your life that are guided and inspired, that will free your mind from ego tyranny, now that's really where the celebration begins. Not that you memorize some passages from a book, not that you become a theologian or that you become a philosopher, but that you actually, just, just you, your mind, you actually say, oh my gosh, I've been mistaken about so much and I'm willing to change my mind. So that's how letting go of the belief in abandonment and rejection happens. Now, why is this movie so helpful to us is because 2,000 years ago, Mary is, is just a, a woman living in a family in the town of Magdala. And so, is that relatable? We all can relate to a woman living in a town. And yet, Jesus and his apostles happened to be passing through and doing some teaching sessions in Magdala, 
And as much as she's supposed to be just doing her duties as a woman and duties as a family member, she hears about uh, Jesus and she hears about the apostles and she is drawn to go and to listen. Now, before she even gets to that point, she is going to have to face the biggest resistances inside of her own house, not out in the world where the Romans are occupying Judea, but inside her house. Her, her father, in the Jewish tradition, there's the father role, there's the daughter role. There's a lot of, of expectations, duties, responsibilities tied to the father role and to the daughter role and to the brother role and to the sister role. You know, if you think it's difficult to stop a Russian invasion of your country, you should try letting go of these family roles. Is it, have any of you tried that in your household? <laughs> it's really in your mind. <laughs> you, you're like, wow, this is, this is more difficult than the Russians. <laughs> this is, wow, this is sticky stuff. There's a lot of drama, emotion, and that's what Mary Magdala is, is really going to be facing because she is called to Christ. She is called to Jesus. She is dissatisfied with the world. She is dissatisfied with many things. She notices in her mind she has different longings, different desires. She notices she's not peaceful all the time. She notices she's not content. She is wishing sometimes, like, how did I get here? <laughs> this, this is intolerable. And so First one is letting go of the belief in abandonment and rejection. It's in the mind, but you have to take a look at all your family self-concepts. You have to take a look at your brother-sister concepts. And even your affiliation with Judea or with the town of Magdala. You know, when Jesus calls, when the Christ calls, it's calling us away from earthly thoughts, from egoic thoughts, and from egoic associations and affiliations. That's part of the guilt, is the specialness of believing certain people in certain places are more important than other people in places, you know. And believe me, family, biological brothers, sister, biological parents, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, you know what I'm talking about. That is so sticky that it's like a nuclear reaction when you try to loosen your mind from that, <laughs> you know, it's intense. Yes, it's intense in Ukraine and it's intense in your mind because Ukraine is just a reflection of the mind. So what's going on there is just reflecting the intensity of letting go of the past, letting go of past association and let your mind be born again new. That's what the resurrection is. It's being born again in the present moment. It's being born again in the holy instant. It's not about being born again in a worldly sense, in a reincarnational sense. Uh, it's being born again into light, which is just a recognition of the light that you are. Okay, the second highest votes for uh, the themes is vigilance for all encounters 
to be holy. All encounters to be holy. So basically, Mary Magdalene, she's, she's got encounters with her family members, with her father. Her mother died when she was quite young. She has encounters with Jesus. She has encounters with the apostles. And when she leaves everything behind to follow Jesus, she definitely has encounters around Judea with the women and men, mostly Jewish women and men, but, but others. And of course, even a Roman soldier, she will have a, a moment in this uh, movie where she just looks right into the eyes of a Roman soldier who is on his horse. And that is the second theme, vigilance for all encounters to be holy. That's right. Even when you're looking into the eyes of the Roman soldier who's clad in the Roman war uh, garments and the helmet and the everything that's part of that, when she looks into the eyes of the Roman soldier, the purpose has to be the miracle. The purpose has to be holiness. Seeing no enemies, seeing you are one with me. We are the same self. You see how deep this goes. So this can be a good practice when you're watching the news and you are seeing soldiers, whatever they're wearing, whatever they seem to be doing, whatever their behaviors seem to be, you have the power in your mind to join with their holiness and to find your own. That is the purpose of a war scene. Is to, is to, number two, vigilance for all encounters to be holy. Even if you're watching the news or you're seeing uh, videos on, on the internet, your purpose is to be the light of the world. Your purpose is to join in the truth of holiness. And that's why when Mary appeared in, in, uh, in Fatima, she was just telling the students, her, the children and all the people there that came, to pray for peace. She was asking them to join in holiness. The third theme is facing disorientation along the spiritual journey. Uh, when your biological father, in this case, Mary's biological father, seems to be hands off while her brother and a group of men are, are basically drowning her in the, in the sea, and the father is just not saying or doing anything, uh, you know, that can be disorienting. If you've, if you've lived with a man that's your father and your mother's passed away and you have a great love for your father and he just stands by while the brothers and, the, and these men basically drown her or attempt to get a demon out of her when she, when she says she doesn't want to be a wife and a mother. She doesn't want to follow the, the pathways of the world. And basically they conclude she has a demon and they just secretly take her to the sea and basically start dunking her under, drowning her. And meanwhile, father stands by until he can't take it anymore. Uh, so she's going to have to face this. That was very disorienting in her life, uh, having these men try to drown her under the pretext of removing a demon. 
she has issues with her brother, therefore, who who's basically sarcastically telling her, I'll just, how about if I just bind up your breast and chop your hair off and then you can go and pray like all the other men? Because women back in those days aren't even allowed to just go to the temple to pray when they want to pray. There's so many traditions, so many things of the past that are today we would say seem very limiting. But back then they were just the common the part of the Jewish culture. So she has to basically face this story, this disorientation among her family members, her sister Rachel. She has to face it when she goes to the temple to pray and is questioned, why did you go there? What, what was your purpose? You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to go to the temple and pray. Uh, and then as she's she becomes basically an apostle with the apostles. Um, she has to, to face all kinds of egoic judgments about you're a woman, you know, you're a woman with a bunch of other men, uh, all kinds of things that go counter to the culture. They're just a, a bunch of, of judgments. That's very, very disorienting for her. Also, when she's around Jesus, when he's raising the dead, um, you just have to put yourself in her shoes. You know, if you're if you're traveling with somebody that's raising the dead, that's going to generate some disorientation in your mind, because those things just are not common. And when people have their symptoms removed and and he be, he raises Lazarus from the dead. That is disorienting to all the human beings because that is breaking the norm of time and space. That's breaking a big norm. <laughs> you know, the world thinks it knows what sickness is and the world thinks it knows what death is. And Jesus and Mary are going to show us it's in the mind. The ego belief system is death. It's a death wish in the mind. It's not organic. It's not physical. In fact, you know, if you knew that you made it all up, then you couldn't possibly put so much meaning on birth and death if you knew you made it up. If you knew it was a, a theater, wouldn't you be more interested in escaping the death belief in the mind than mourning the death of the body or celebrating the birth of the body? You see, the humans have no understanding of the context of how deep this goes. It took 2,000 years to get A Course in Miracles into this realm. And we've had the Advaita Vedanta, we've got the Bhagavad Gita, we've had a lot of really good non-teachings, non-dual teachings uh, throughout the world, in China, in India. We've had really good non-dual teachings, but Jesus is the, is the demonstration of the actuality of those non-dual teachings put into practice. You see how important that is? It's practice. It's demonstration. It's not theology. It's demonstration. And that's what this movie is going to help us do. It's going to help us move inward toward the demonstration of it, toward the actual experience of it, and not get caught up splitting hairs about the theology. We're splitting hairs about this religion versus that religion. 
And then, of course, in this movie, um, when Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, it's the early morning hours, and and Mary Magdalene has just awoken from her sleep. You know the story of how Jesus just prayed through the night uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the apostles and Mary Magdalene were sleeping, and then she just wakes up, and she's very disoriented, and then she gets knocked out. So uh, that is a, a, an interesting part of her journey. She, she just wakes up in the morning when they're coming to arrest Jesus, and she gets knocked out. She loses consciousness, only to wake up, uh, and Jesus is already bleeding, carrying the cross in the streets. So she literally blanks out uh, on parts of, of what seemed to be the, the story. The next one is called Keeping Faith in the Miracle. So there will be many opportunities for Mary to show us and demonstrate the expanding of the faith. She, she has to do it. I mean, she's, she's following Jesus, and she has such a lighthearted, friendly, deep connection with Jesus, but she's also traveling with 12 other men, and this can bring up a lot of stuff in terms of how you're looked at, how you're treated, how you're thought about. There's a lot of healing. Any of you women know if you if you live with 12, 13 men, even if one of them was Jesus, it would it would be a, expanding your faith in a huge way. You can only imagine. Some of you are like, I, I do fine with my dogs and my cat. Very, very thank you very much. That's that's about enough. <laughs> that's as far as I, I choose to go with this. But actually, it's all thoughts. And it's all just letting the unconscious come up to be released. It's, it's the same thing. It's been going on for centuries. It's the same thing. But you have to keep the faith. So uh, there's going to be a beautiful scene where, where Jesus sends Mary and Peter out together. And uh, Jesus is, is the master at sending people out together to expand their faith. <laughs> To, to forgive the authority problem and expand their faith. He, and if you watch The Chosen, you see he does that sometimes with uh, Andrew and Matthew. But in this time, he's sending Mary Magdalene out with Peter, the, the orator, and, and Mary with her beautiful heart, her loving heart, both of them just for forgiveness purposes. Of course, with the crucifixion, that's a huge opportunity to keep the faith during the resurrection, uh, that's that's a huge opportunity to expand your faith. But then Mary has to come back and tell the apostles, I have seen him, and have them look with disbelief on her words, uh, as if they cannot believe that she's credible. That will expand your faith. When you have people that you live with look at you, like you don't have all your marbles. <laughs> Look at you as if you're not all there. Oh, that will expand your faith. I know. I've had a lot of people tell me for the last 35 years, David doesn't have all of his marbles. He's not really all there. 
<laughs> so that's a great one to expand your faith, <laughs> to detach from your personality self and the ego when people seem to doubt you and doubt your words and doubt your actions. That's a great faith expander, you know, you got to love it, you know, wow, that really expands your faith, you know, because you realize in the end, it must be your own doubt thoughts that are doing it. It can't be them. They aren't doubting you. You're doubting you. Your mind is doubting its, its spiritual reality, and then the characters act it out. Academy Award nomination this year goes to my family for acting out all my doubt thoughts. And, oh, Golden Globe too. You, you, all that anger, all that frustration, wickedness. You really played some good evil characters, which was my unconscious evil darkness that I believed in. Academy Award standing ovation, best actress, best actor, you see. We have to get to that point where we don't take it personally. We just start to realize they did us a favor to help us get in touch with what was going on in our mind. We should really appreciate their acting ability <laughs> because it helped us. It seemed very real, but it actually helped us get in touch with what was going on in our mind. Oh, you played a really good sick one too. Yeah, And the death scene, that really looked real. And the whole coffin thing and, you know, in the cemetery, I mean, that really, you really played that one out really good, you know. Academy Award, posthumous Academy Award, doesn't matter, you still get the award. It's just beautiful. Okay, and finally, I am worthy of consistent effort. Jesus says in the Course, Beware of the shabby ego belief that neither you nor anyone else is worth consistent effort. But I am worthy of consistent effort. Well, I can't think of two better characters in all of history to teach us I am worthy of consistent effort than Jesus and Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Those two. Oh, wow. In case we missed it, here we're going to see Every scene, they have to come tap into their worthiness of God's love, tap into the love of God. Every single scene they go through seems to be a challenge, egoically. And they keep stepping up to the plate. They keep stepping up into the next scene, the next scene, demonstrating faith, demonstrating trust, demonstrating the willingness to expand our faith, you know, to really come to know God's will. You know, this is huge. These are these characters that played Jesus and uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, it's just it's just really uh, an honor to go watch this together because they're doing it for all of us. They're showing us the way. It's truly the the epitome of being a way shower. So I think. That is probably the, the setup I can give you for right now. It's, it's going to be a very mystical movie. And I think right now there's been a lot of prayers for help and healing in, in what's happening with the world situation, what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in the pandemic, what's happening 
economically, seemingly all these things that are going on is just our opportunity to accept the correction in our mind. And the more that the world in, seems to intensify in terms of these, I'll call them distractions, <laughs> this is where you really have to be vigilant for God. When the ego is trying to get you to salute one of these distractions, when the ego wants your allegiance to jump on an opinion for or against something, remember that your Christ self is in there saying, come into me, come into me, find the peace within. Bring peace to the world by finding the peace within yourself. That is the answer. It's always the answer, find the peace within. And all the great mystics and saints, you know, they, they knew that. They all knew that they had to find it on the inside, that, that they tried and tried and tried to change the world. But in the end, it's Jesus's words in A Course in Miracles, seek not to change the world, seek rather to change your mind about the world. How else can the meek inherit the earth? How else can we be defenseless? How else can we turn the other cheek in the face of whatever appears to be happening? Uh, when someone seems to betray us, Jesus is inside our mind saying, here, let's together pluck the belief in betrayal from your mind. Let's pluck the belief in rejection from your mind. Rejection, betrayal, conflict, competition, war, these are not concepts that belong in your holy mind. You are a creation of God, and nothing can change your innocence of being created by God. The ego cannot prevail against the truth of our reality. So with that, let's all join in and watch the story of a woman living in Magdala who happens to come in contact with Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, before she goes to hear Jesus speak publicly, before she goes to listen to him in a public forum, she goes through this experience of basically almost being drowned by her brother and a group of men. And she shuts out everything and everyone. She becomes so darkly depressed about the world that she becomes completely despondent. She just, she just lays there, she doesn't even speak. And guess who comes right into her house, right up to her as she's laying on the floor, right when she needs it the most, not out at some public forum speaking by the water. Jesus comes right into her house and kneels down right by her. Oh, does God love us in the darkest hours of our life where we feel suicidal, where we feel we don't want to go on, where we feel we just want to shut it out. What a beautiful scene of hearing 
this beautiful voice. She even has her eyes closed and she hears this soft, gentle voice in her room. And that is what Jesus is, wants to do with all of us. He wants to come, come into our mind, come into our lives, come right into where we believe we are and reach us and lift us up where we truly are into that love and light. So enjoy the movie and I will be with you always through this movie, even unto the end of time. <laughs> it's true. Okay. So this is beginning to show the dilemma that Mary Magdalene is facing. Um, she takes a beautiful walk out with her father. They're having a beautiful talk. And, and part of the father, his definition of being a good father is to marry off his daughter. So basically, this he's very excited because he has a potential husband, Ephron, uh, for his daughter. And he's talking and and uh, he's saying she, Ephron, you know, he needs he needs a wife. And her father is overjoyed with this. And he's talking with his daughter on the walk. And and then she quickly says, you need me. And he quickly deflects um, her role as a supportive, loving daughter in his family and said, it would please God for you to be a mother. He throws it right up on God. It would please God for you to be a mother. And, and, and then he adds, it would please me too. So you see how strong that is, you know, in the whole culture with her father, her mother has passed away, her father saying it would please God for you to be a mother. He's basically saying, Ephraim, it would be a great husband, you would be a great wife. And then when she comes back, there are all the children and you can see her sister, Rachel, you know, has got the biggest smile, almost like you've been betrothed, you've been given over to your life partner, to your husband. It's Ephraim, he's coming. And then we just see in the last scene, Ephraim comes and he's meeting all the family, the brother, the sister, sisters, the children, come and meet Ephraim. You know, it, for her to turn towards following Jesus in the way that Jesus called people to follow him, it, it seems to be in the mind a huge um, disconnect because even when she's out fishing and she's got the fishing nets and she's in the water, uh, she's asking about the, the one who, the man who's speaking and preaching and that's where her heart is. She said, must be nice to have all that time that you can go and listen to him speak because she's got all these chores that are part of the family all these duties, all these responsibilities, and not just for her current life situation, but now she's being betrothed for the rest of her life to be the wife, to be the mother. And basically, 
What Jesus teaches us in the Course is that the entire world, it's not just our, our biological families, it's not just our personality self, it's not just our associations with, with the biological family, with our cultures, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our cities. It's all the same thing. We have bought into a belief system of specialness that makes some bodies more special than other bodies. <laughs> it's not agape universal love. It's not divine love. It's, it's romantic. It's very interpersonal. It's very genetic. Uh, I'm here in Utah, and, and uh, part of the Mormon Christian tradition is genealogy. You know, looking back at your family through history, all the generations, finding out who you are by researching the past. Wow, Jesus is telling us in the Course, no, you need to join me in the holy instant to free your mind from the guilt of time and space. That the ego generated a world, and then it had you affiliate and associate with that generated world in some particular family constellation in which you seem to incarnate as a person, and then you have these persons around you. And wow, that is like, that's as stickier than uh, flypaper. I mean, talk about getting stuck in the wheel of karma and the wheel of time and the wheel of guilt. We're seeing it right here with Mary because she wants to pray in the temple. She wants to go hear this, this preacher speak. She hears from other people that he's done some healings there in Magdala, that he's speaking about the kingdom of God, that he's speaking about freedom, that he's speaking about our true calling, our true purpose. And that's actually where her heart is. That's where her heart is drawn. And juxtaposed now, she's dealing with it with the family, with her sister Rachel, with her brother, with her father. Now Ephraim, the, the one that she's being betrothed to for the rest of her earth life, uh, is there. And this is just, in her soul, this is an intolerable situation. And yet this is what Mary Magdala has got to teach all of us. You know, she is going to move into who is my father, my brother, my mother, my sister, my brother. He that does the will of my father in heaven. She that does the will of the father in heaven. The one mind that escapes the past reaches eternity. And Jesus is the example of that. But he's not only overthrowing the common beliefs, he's throwing overthrowing traditions, he's overthrowing cultures, he's overthrowing everything that is believed to be good and right and loving and decent. So you can see why the scribes and the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. You can see why the people had uh, such a reaction to him. The Romans were not so concerned uh, basically about Jesus because they they had a pretty tight grip on Judea. They, I think the Romans had a tighter grip on Judea than Vladimir Putin has on Ukraine. <laughs> 
the Romans really had it tight. And the, the Jewish people were basically, they're doing their traditions and they're praying and they're doing their rituals and everything. But, but basically, the ones that are in charge politically in Judea are the Romans. And they're just not coming there just as a passing thing. They, they have a long-standing control over, over Judea. So that's not even come into this. Now you can see what, what, what Mary's facing. She's facing more the cultural family associations and beliefs. That's her front line right there. Because if she's going to follow her heart and really follow Jesus, who's talking about the kingdom of God, then she's going to have to be willing to let go of some of the things that seem to be the most precious things on earth. And we're not talking about gold and diamonds here. We're talking about mom and dad. We're talking about brothers and sisters. We're talking about husbands and wives. You see, that's how, how entrenched that is. That's, that's so woven into the culture but remember, the ego is the projector of this world. God is not a creator of bodies. God does not create matter. God creates in spirit. And Christ is spirit. And, and all of the creations are all spirit. So in the Bible, you know, we have all these stories in the Old Testament. This one, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat begat. When I was a kid, I... That was one of my questions to my parents. I said, what is, what does begat mean? What does begat mean? <laughs> and I had not yet been told about the birds and the bees. I didn't have the sexual talk. So that made my parents very uncomfortable when I was asking, what are all this begat stuff? They didn't, they weren't ready to talk to me about procreation. <laughs> so they avoided that talk. But basically, that's all part of the linear progression of the ego, past, present, future, the ego inventing linear time to keep the mind stuck in guilt. So it's, it's one thing to talk about these metaphysics, but it's another thing when you actually watch someone who has to face these decisions and her heart is drawn to the light. She is drawn to Jesus. Somehow, some way, she knows it's the most important thing for her in her life. And she has to now face the scenes that she's watching at home, and then she's going to have to go pray. She's going to have to fervently pray for help. Wow, this is the kind of movies we needed to see to get the full picture of of Jesus. This is what is so important because when you are called by God, when you have your inner calling to God, that is in this world a very rare thing. To be called to repeat the past is natural in this world, but it's unnatural to God. To be called to adhere to the past is natural in this world, but it's very unnatural to God. It's definitely not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are here to free our mind from the past, not to perpetuate linear time, but to draw us beyond linear time, draw us into the light. So 
Mary has obviously prayed and prayed to make the decision that she just said basically to her brother in front of Ephraim, in front of her father, in front of everyone. Um, that's not, I'm not called into that kind of life. But by saying I'm not called into that kind of life, I'm not called to be a mother, I'm not called to be a wife. Uh, basically, you can see her, her brother, Daniel, uh, is basically saying, you know, you bring shame to your mother who's passed away. You bring shame to your whole family. The shaming starts as soon as it becomes obvious to her that she has a calling to God. The shaming starts. The ego doesn't want you to answer your call. The ego will try to shame you, shame your mind for moving in that direction, because that would be the end of the ego. You see how important it is to the ego that you stay under its control. Because if you free your mind, then that's it. The ego is dispelled. And all defense mechanisms were made up by the ego to keep you from answering your calling. So Mary has a calling. She says, no, I'm not called to be that. I'm not called to be a wife and a, and a mother in front of Ephraim, in front of her father, in front of her, her brother Daniel. And then it's Daniel who had the strongest reactions of all almost like, uh, you know, sarcastically saying, well, if I could bind your breast and make you cut your hair off and make you look like a man, then you could pray whatever you want, almost, you know, sarcastically saying, no, you don't have any options. You're a woman, and this is your only option. And then when she turns toward her calling, all the shaming begins. And then they don't even tell her what they're doing, just like father is waiting. So they use the father symbol. Father is waiting to draw her out of the house, take her down there, and then basically to, this is a classic example of projection. When they say she has something unnatural inside of her. Yeah, what's unnatural to the ego is a calling to God. That is the most unnatural thing that you could have inside of you, an intuitive call, a divine call, because to the ego, that's the worst thing. It doesn't even believe there is a God, much less having a call by this God that the ego said doesn't even exist, because the ego is trying to run the tables, trying to control everything. So basically, you can see that they not only dunk her multiple times, but it's actually her brother Daniel who is repeatedly putting her under the water and saying, come out of her. Like this is, this is the projection of an external devil, a projection of a devil inside a person. But the very one that is so insistent that's, that's basically dunking her over and over, screaming, come out of her, is, is the ego's reaction to her natural calling to God and calling that natural calling unnatural. And all the prophets and saints, whether you go with John the Baptist or you go back throughout the Old Testament, and, and it doesn't matter, in, in the Indian traditions, the Chinese traditions, all traditions, Native American traditions, all traditions have these mystics and saints, whether they're 
they're high priests or whether they're medicine men or they're this or they're that, they're lamas, they're, they're monks, they're nuns, they're, they're whatever they seem to be. It doesn't matter whether they're married or not. Mary Baker Eddy was, was an amazing mystic. Uh, she was, was married and, and, and had a second husband and then married her student, Asia Eddy, uh, uh, who was her husband. And then it doesn't matter the form of things, but this calling will not go away. This calling to wake up to God is there and it's placed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the mustard seed that Jesus talks about that's referred to. A mustard seed is a very tiny, tiny seed, but it can grow and grow and grow far, far beyond its tiny size. And that's like a little mustard seed of faith, faith that we would find our way back home to eternity, faith that we would come to know our Creator, faith that we would come to know ourselves spiritually as we really are. You see how important that is? It's the faith of self-realization, that little mustard seed. And in Mary, it's been activated. And when she hears that the man who's been speaking healed someone, her eyes get big because that's what she's won. When it talks about the kingdom of God, what all the prophets and the saints have talked about, and even her her sister said, oh, yeah, you, you talked about uh, John the Baptist and that you said Herod had him killed because he was a true prophet. Oh, and John the Baptist is the harbinger of Jesus, is the one, if you know the whole story with Elizabeth and, and, and John is the harbinger. So, so you can see from Mary's life that she's tuned into John the Baptist. She's tuned into the prophets. She's tuned into prayer. And she is devout on the inside. She has her mustard seed activated. And the ego does not like that at all. Because the ego is going to defend against that calling with everything that it has. It will use all of history. It will use family constellations. It will use anything, anything in all of history as, a, as a, an evidence or a witness that that is unnatural. And that's the way it goes. We, most of us have had to go through our share of that too, <laughs> with, with family members, with friends, with so forth. You know, I remember even when I was in university, I, I would talk to everybody about I, trying to explain my calling and people, my classmates in university said, that's crazy, David. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> and, and I would try to, to intuitively explain to them what I was feeling in my heart, and they just couldn't, you know, which, which university, which degree you're going to have, what are you going to do for a living, what, what are you going to do practically for the future was always the main topic. And spirituality was not something that I could talk a lot with my classmates at the University of Cincinnati with. And it's one thing to talk about spirituality with your parents. I could talk about Jesus. I could talk about this. But once you get into the calling, you know, even with parents, eyebrows are raised. It's like, yeah, we want you to be happy. Yeah, God is great. God is good. But 
behave yourself <laughs> and for God's sake, have a future, get a life. <laughs> you can't you can't just pray your way into heaven. Well, wait a minute, I thought prayer was important. Yeah, well, education seems to be more important than prayer. <laughs> Relationships in this world seem to be more important than prayer. In fact, most everything seems to be high on the priority list of the world. And following your intuition and going into a deeply devotional life of living an inspired prayerful life is not exactly something that rings the bell in terms of the world, <laughs> the world's uh, views. And here we see it with, with Mary, Mary Magdalene, because she's just in a small town in Judea, and she is facing, you know, it, it was basically, they almost drowned her uh, to try to get the demon outside of her. The only problem is the demon isn't a demon. <laughs> It's, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, and there's nothing of this world that can actually get that, that entity out of us because that is the reminder of who we really are. <laughs> we, we can't put that light out. We can cover it. We can cover it. We can stuff it down. We can, we can cover it with lots of beliefs and lots of thoughts and emotions but we cannot get rid of the eternal flame of the reminder of who we are. So now you see that first we see the image that Mary has of her, like a, a lifeless body kind of floating in the water. And that's how she feels about herself. She doesn't fit into the world. She's like this lifeless body that's just floating in the deep. She's in the deep and she's just floating. And now in terms of her life, after, after this uh, attempted exorcism that they were trying to do, actually now she's just very despondent. And, and even when her father came to pray and pray and pray, she turned away even from her, her uh, biological father because now she's become so disheartened with the world. And when we become that disheartened to the world, when we become like we feel all is lost and we feel like we can't go on another day, that's when the Holy Spirit comes rushing in. That's when Jesus comes rushing in. The more disillusioned we are, the better it is for us to accept the correction and accept the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's when we really think we can handle this world on our own personal terms that the light is blocked out. But once we go through this huge disillusionment, then we're ready to be lifted, to be lifted up to the light. And that's where Mary is right now. Okay, here we go. Wow, yeah, this is an important scene. You know, where you have a world of complete darkness and you have this beacon of eternal love and light, almost like a bright ray shining into a darkened world that has never seen a ray like this before. You can see how volatile it seems to be. There seems to be a, a healing where this, this woman was blind and now she could see. And there are people that marvel at the witness for healing and then immediately 
they start saying this this is the work of the devil <laughs> you know you see how in this world the contrast between the light and the darkness is so great that the ego will try to explain away everything even this simple healing of this woman being able to see immediately the cry goes up uh this this is the work of the devil and then you see peter who uh the apostle peter he's he's in the water saying come come everybody come rejoice you see <laughs> there we go wow we got some contrasting witnesses here and you can see the crowd is very volatile and everything and and i would say this scene is what does this have to teach us is that's when we make a call when we say in our heart god i'm going to answer the call that's how our world can seem to be just like that scene on the beach it can get really messy and all of us know about that we could give our own testimonies of how messy it can get when you actually say yes to god but if i can just recap for a moment remember when the men tried to cast the demon out and, and mary almost drowned when she was laying there in total disillusionment basically shut down not speaking to her father not speaking to anyone that was the point where jesus came and and entered in and he simply very softly and gently asked her some very important questions and basically his response was there are no demons here <laughs> you see isn't that the kindest gentlest thing that the messiah could say to her in her point of of disillusionment deep disillusionment there are no demons here and then he started to just connect with her innermost heart what what is it that you fear and she said oh i i fear my thoughts i've talked about that a lot when the mind believes it can miscreate and misuse the power of god that belief in miscreation generates enormous fear of thoughts because while people love to talk about the manifesting the power of magic and manifesting and manifesting soulmates and cars and houses and diamond necklaces <laughs> oh nobody likes to, to say what what does my mind have to do with ukraine what does my mind have to do with world world war 1 world war 2 what does my mind have to do with hiroshima what the what does my mind have to do with nagasaki hydrogen bombs what what does my mind have to do with starvation famine tsunamis you know what does my mind well this is where the fear of thoughts come in you see everybody wants to manifest the good stuff nobody ever wants to talk to me about manifesting hiroshima and nagasaki that is not not a common thing you know nobody nobody talks about that I never get one email David why did I manifest Nagasaki and Hiroshima no oh, why can't I manifest that life partner uh that mansion that I want that big boat I want a boat as big as Tom Brady's Super Bowl championship boat down in Tampa Florida I want a boat that big 
But nobody talks about Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you see, because it's the fear of thoughts. So that's what she says. She says, she said, he says, what do you fear? She said, I fear my thoughts, my longings and unhappiness. I fear, I shame my family. And then she says, I have shamed my family. You see how strong the belief is? That's why she's got so much torment going on, is because she feels to follow her heart, to follow her intuition and her calling, is to shame her family. The family that she has loved, the family that raised her, the family that took care of her. You see, this is how the ego works. It's going to try to stop you from going for your call with the old shaming thing. Oh, if I follow my joy, my happiness, if I follow the light, I will leave behind the poor suffering ones that I abandoned and rejected. Listen, if you think following God involves abandonment or rejection, then I have something to tell you. That's our first, that's our first uh, theme letting go of the belief in abandonment and rejection. If you think that following God is going to be a sacrifice for somebody else, if you think following God is, means somebody else is going to have to pay a price, then you don't really understand what following God is. Why would a God of love demand sacrifice? It's the ego that invented sacrifice, and it's the ego that perpetuates the belief in sacrifice and punishment. And that is the great fear that Mary Magdala had. If I follow my true heart's calling, I will shame my family, and eventually shaming leads to what? Punishment. The ego made a strong connection between shame, guilt, and punishment. In fact, the ego says the guilty must be punished. What does Jesus say? Sin is a belief in your mind. You cannot sin in reality. You cannot shame in reality. You cannot be guilty in reality. But in time, you can seem to be. You are innocent in eternity, and you believe you're guilty in time because you believe you're in time. You believe your identity your very existence is time bound. So when Jesus came along 2000 years ago, he was here to set the captives free. He was here to set the sleeping mind free, the mind that's dreaming of Maya, the mind that's dreaming of illusions, the mind that is fixated on guilt and shame and pain. He came to set all the captives free and then he taught and demonstrated that this was possible. It's like Plato's famous cave analogy, you know, where the prisoners are all locked up in the cave and all they can perceive with their chains on their arms and legs is the shadows on the cave. And yet they are shown eventually one escapes from the chains and goes out and, and sees the fire, sees the marionettes, the, the puppeteers and realizes that that what those shadows on the wall are, are not reality. That the, they go out and they actually encounter the, the light, the, the fire, that's, that's the light that's casting the shadows with these puppets. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he basically escaped 
the, the ego's dark world and said, it's good news, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So you can see for Mary that she hasn't reached that point where she has to walk away from her family. In her mind, she's coming close. First, she does her expression session with Jesus. She's all laid out and Jesus has her questions and she does, isn't that great doing your expression session with Jesus? <laughs> isn't that fantastic? Way to go, Mary. You're showing the way for all of us. If you can do it, then so can we. She's got Jesus in her, in her house and she does an expression session with with Jesus. Yeah, this is, these are my aspirations. This is what I'm longing for. I'm not happy. I'm afraid of my thoughts. She pours it all out. And then Jesus says, this is the best way to end an expression session. What do you want? And she says, I'm not sure. Does that sound familiar for anybody? I'm not sure. <laughs> if Jesus comes into your bedroom, what do you want? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's all right. He's still there. He's still there. He's still waiting. And then after just a few moments of pause reflection, Mary Magdalene says to know God. When Jesus Christ asks you what you want and you pause, first you're unsure, and then you say to know God. There the connection is made. That's it. Now, now she's on to the calling of her heart to know God. In fact, that's the only calling any of us can really have. You know? We're not called to be architects and all, all these different characters and roles that we play. We're called to know God. That's, that's what this is about. And as soon as she says to know God, you notice that she goes to the beach and, and then she watch, watches the, the blind woman who, who she's probably seen and known in Magdala for many years. And she watches the smile come across this dear friend's face, as she can see, and she sees the smile on Jesus's face. Oh, believe me, if I've done my expression session and I've told Jesus I want to know God, and now I see one of my friends in the town who couldn't see, and she's smiling and seeing, and, and Jesus is smiling at the same time, as if it's the most natural thing ever. He was just smiling like, of course, of course, of course. Yes, of course. Of course, miracles are natural. Yeah, miracles are natural. Now she's made the turn. Now, at this point, she's ready to leave her family behind and follow Jesus. Because why? Because she knows there's more to go, right? She's, she's just seen a, a miracle She's just done an expression session. She's just said, I, I want to know God. And she's just seen an expression of a miracle. She's seen time and space get rearranged on that beach. That was not happening before Jesus walked on there. But now her friend can see. And now you can see things are getting very turbulent. But that's only now she has to make the next move, which is, Jesus is going around and saying, follow me. The apostles, you can hear them if these beautiful teaching sessions, and you can hear these words at the end of their teaching sessions. Join us. Join us. And look at Peter. He looks like he's having a really good time baptizing people. You see him there? Come on in. It's the kingdom of God. Let's rejoice. Come on and get baptized. 
That's what John the Baptist was doing too. He was baptizing people in the name of God and saying, repent. And all repent meant was turn from the past, turn away from the past. It wasn't anything nasty. It was a great thing to say repent, meaning turn, turn from the past, turn to the light, turn back to God. That's what the prophets were saying for all those years, those centuries, turn, turn to God, turn to the light. And now we have the witness and the demonstration of Jesus. All the prophets were pointing to this one point, self-realization. All the prophets were pointing to true emancipation, true freedom of the mind, to wake up from dreaming a world of separation, to, to wake up to reality. So now comes the point where, you know, some of you know how the ego works. You know, just when you go through your expression session, you say, I want to know God, and you witness a miracle, now the ego will come in and try to give you a body slam. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a little too far, like you've gone a little too far. And basically, it's basically going to be her family still trying to call her back to the past. Uh, the witnesses of the past, as you know, uh, can be quite strong. And you have to, all your faith is just to take you to a point where you take the next step with Jesus. That's all it really is. It's not, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just all of your miracles and faith is just to help you take the next step with Jesus. And that's what she wants to do. She actually now wants to follow Jesus and, and go with the apostles. She's going to have all the doubt thoughts come like, what? You're going to leave your family and go be with a bunch of men? <laughs> You're going to bring shame down on, the, on Magdala. You're going to bring shame down on... Even the apostles are wondering, oh my God, what's it going to be tra like traveling with a woman? In those days... They were concerned about the shame. Everybody's got their shame thoughts. And what she's doing is she's doing for the whole universe because the ego only sees shame. What embarrassment will you bring to me? What shame will you bring to me? What, what uh, difficulties and challenges will you bring to me? That's all the ego knows. Shame, fear, guilt, difficulties, blah, 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 blah. We know that story. But in the end, you've got to be like a rocket ship. Fire those rockets. Fire those rockets. You get that extra juice in your rockets, and you're going for God. You're not going to be held by the gravity of the past. You're not going to be held by the past learning of situations and traditions. Even if it seems like quicksand, fire your rockets. Blast off from this dark consciousness that tells you you're limited, you're afraid, you're never going to be loved, blast off from it. People ask me sometimes, like, David, wow, you seem to really be all about transcendence. And I said, that's right. I'm like one of those big Saturn, Saturn rockets that, that went to the moon. You know, all the, they're mostly just fuel to break the gravitational field, right? Why have so much fuel? you got to break the gravitational field. Break the field of ego thoughts and beliefs. Break the field of being limited to being a man or a woman, of being limited to this role or that role. 
of being limited to this time or that time. Let's fire the rockets and blast past reincarnation. Let's blast past incarnating over and over, repeating the same mistakes lifetime after lifetime, and let's go for the light. That's the songs I listen to, like Brandon Lake, Running to the Light. You know, I get all fired up with those kind of things because I know that this is our purpose, is to transcend the ego. And Mary, now, this is no small thing. Put yourself in her shoes 2,000 years ago. You've got a, your mother's passed away. Your father's like, oh, it would please God and me if you would marry Ephraim. Ephraim's waiting like, okay. And the, and the people around are saying, Ephraim, you should have many children, <laughs> many sons, is what they're basically saying. And, and the sister's going, oh, let's, let's get you some nice gifts. Oh, you're making it to your wedding day. This is a great time. Everything in the world is, is saying family, wife, family, wife. And she's got to fire those rockets if she's going to blast free from karma and from the belief in just repeating the past over and over. So let's see what she does here. She's on the beach. Jesus is there, but he looks like he's kind of overwhelmed a bit <laughs> from the healing. <laughs> she's like, Rabbi, come back to us. You know, she's already in her function. He needed her. He needed her right then you know, to come in in the middle of that crowd, you know. Jesus needs witnesses too. All of us need witnesses. Mary, Mary Magdalene is a witness for Jesus, just like Jesus is a witness for Mary. Everybody's helping each other in this uh, building our rocket fuel here. Okay, here we go. I, I think you're getting the picture. When you go for God, you have will go through a series of encounters where basically you're, don't go, stay, stay here, stay with us and everything. And as soon as, as her sister looks in her eyes and sees that she's going, here come the threats. No man will touch you. You know, the ego, it's just under the surface. It's ready to fire those threats off at any instant. No man will touch you. And Daniel, that's the, that's the brother that almost drowned her in the, in the sea. Daniel will never take you back. You see how the threats come in there, the family threats. It can be financial threats. It can be family threats. It can be uh, like in the Jewish tradition, you know, when you, when you tear, when you disown somebody, you tear the collar and say, I disown you, I'll never speak to you again. It doesn't matter. The ego has thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of threats to keep you from going for God. That's it. It will, it will be all lovey-dovey. Don't leave us, oh sister, love you, love you, love you, love you. When you really go for it, no man will touch you and Daniel will never take you back. Aha, you see, we can get to the ego. All we have to do is follow the Holy Spirit and then sure the ego will, it's gonna show up. It's gonna come out. It's just unconscious, but oh wow. When you follow God, it's gonna come out from its hiding place. It's gonna to try to get in your face. And we've already seen it a number of times in this movie. And she's just heading out there and she's just taking her brave steps one at a step at a time. But we have to face our doubt thoughts because it's not external people that are holding us back. 
It's our own doubt thoughts about our reality that are getting reflected to us. So that's right, no one's ever rejected us, no one's ever abandoned us, no one's ever betrayed us, except we believed in rejection, <laughs> abandonment, and betrayal, and oh wow, those characters really do the job of acting out the beliefs. That's how this world was made, it's made out of beliefs, and as long as we hold on to those beliefs, the characters simply act them out. And then when we start to take our steps in faith, we start to draw all these mighty companions. Look around on the Zoom room. Look at all these mighty companions your mind has drawn now, you see? <laughs> Ego's like, oh God, do you have to have fill up a Zoom room with all these smiling faces and making these hearts? Ego says, that's ridiculous. And, and making all these waves and waving to each other. Ego's like, ah, ah, ego can't stand it because all these witnesses of love are, are showing you that you're taking the steps to, to forgive. You know, you're actually getting happy. You, you're actually starting to get naturally happy because the happiness is inside of you. So here we go. Look at them. There they are in Spain. There's a party going on over there. It's <laughs> Very nice. Okay, let's get back to it. We've got we've got some more rockets to fire. We got to break this gravitational field of the ego. We're going to heaven. We're going back to heaven. <laughs> okay. Well, this is beautiful too. She's she's just done what back in the day would be unthinkable absolutely unthinkable. And right away, she has Judas talking about, he was married and he had a daughter who, who died because he couldn't feed her with the situation with the Romans. And Peter uh, had, was married and he had children and he, uh, they, he said he used to dance right there with Jesus, but but um, when that the day came when Peter had to to leave them to follow Jesus, so isn't that beautiful that that Mary just takes a step in the context of the world that's absolutely unthinkable and unfathomable, and yet right away when they start walking, here is two witnesses. She's looking over at Peter, and she knows the story of how Peter did the same thing with children, and now Judas is saying he did the same thing and his, his daughter died. You see how even the most unthinkable thing, it just, if we slowly take our steps in faith, we start to realize, oh, everyone has to give it all and go for it to let, let go to go for God. It's not like some are burdened and others are not because it's just the beginning. For Mary, you know, she seems to have done this thing that is not common at all, but so have the apostles. They've given up their fishing careers, their tax collecting careers. Uh, Peter has left his wife and, and children to follow Jesus, uh, and so did uh, Judas, he just told us, after his, his child died. Obviously, his wife is not with them. So 
So these are the, the times where the ego will rear up with the abandonment idea, the rejection idea. You see? Because it's still interpreting abandonment and rejection in terms of form. But abandonment is the ego belief. To believe you can leave God and enter into a false identity of time and space, timeline, that's the belief in abandoning God. And I've even, I've watched over the years as I've listened to songs and everything, the abandonment goes both ways. I mean, many people feel in some ways like there's this been some kind of a deep abandonment or betrayal that's so deep in their psyche, they don't even know how it got there or what it is. They've never really faced the full extent of it. But they do have stories, projected stories of being abandoned, being rejected, so on and so forth. Um, there was a song that I always like to listen to by the Youngbloods. Uh, some of you know the, you probably know the lyrics. Uh, uh, come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try to love one another right now. And then in that song, though, there's a line that says, when the one that left us here returns for us at last. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's even a projection, as if, as if God put us here and then he left us here. Oh, boy, boy, God leaving us here. And now we're dealing with Ukraine and all the other stuff we had to deal with left us here. But see, that's a projection. God is not leaving anybody anywhere because <laughs> God is not a creator of bodies. God is a creator of spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual reality. Our home is spiritual. And, you know, and when we approach our home, we have to start to bring everything back to our own mind. Don't you love it when in the, in the course where Jesus says all illness is mental illness? Isn't that a great one? Isn't that fantastic to know all we're dealing with is a mental illness problem, you know? We're all mentally retarded. We're all mentally challenged. That's right. Let's admit it. We have a perceptual problem. Come on, let's get honest here. Let's get honest because we're not going back to eternity unless we start to admit we have a perceptual problem. Oh, okay. I have mental illness problem. I'm mentally challenged. I have a distorted perception problem. I've been schizophrenic. I've been psychotic. I, I have been delusional. <laughs> let's, let's cough it up. Let's tell it like it is. How else are we going to wake up to eternity unless we start to say, this is where we've been. This is what. And God didn't put us into this. Let's take God off the hook. <laughs> the creator of reality didn't have anything to do <laughs> with, with the distortions, with the mental illness, you know. I like also, I, I love it when I'm listening to a mystic or saying, and I hear there's no problems apart from the mind. Well, that's beautiful too. That's again, back to mental illness. So what about disease? What about viruses and vaccines and everything? Well, let's come back here. If 
there is no problem apart from the mind, if it's all a mental illness, it must mean that I've been suffering from a spiritual amnesia problem. I, meaning I forgot spirit. Let's just be honest, it's a memory problem. We, we aren't talking about viruses and vaccines and passing things on from one body to the next. We're talking about an amnesia problem here. We're talking about an amnesia problem. It's a memory problem. I'm, I'm watching a bunch of false memories, believing them real, forgetting that I'm just re reviewing them mentally, what has already gone by. I'm just watching an old movie, believing the movie's still going on. Well, that can stir you up. If that's where you want to, the ego wants to have an opinion about Ukraine now. Okay, now is it, here comes the ego. It's got an opinion about Ukraine, an opinion about this political leader or that political leader or this political general or that. Listen, no, no, no. It's a, it's a mental problem. <laughs> it's a mental amnesia problem here. And the sooner we admit it, the better. Because once we admit it, then we're ready to be shown what's beyond it. But if we don't admit it, then it just seems to go on and on like a broken record. Day after day, month after month, year after year, century after century, millennium after millennium. You see, it just goes on and on. So I would say what we've learned so far is that Mary Magdalene has shown us that she has the faith to take the step that's necessary. And, and for many people, they would say, well, now your troubles are over. No, she's, she's humble enough to know that following Jesus is a beginning. <laughs> it's the beginning. Even in A Course in Miracles, he says this course is a, is a beginning and not an end. Isn't that amazing? You have 31 chapters, 365 lessons, a manual for teachers, and in, he says in the middle, this course is the beginning, not an end. you got to love his humor, because he's like saying, are you with me? Are you with me? We're, we're, we're on a ride now. We're taking a ride, and, and this is going to be a wake-up ride. This is not going to be a, what am I going to do in my next incarnation ride? This is not that kind of ride. This is a wake-up ride. And, and how profound that is, how profound that is. So let's just see how it goes for Mary now, now that she's, she's out there. She's, she's, I think she's smiling right away. Don't you know she's smiling more? She's just sitting there talking to Judas. <laughs> Judas has a great reputation <laughs> among Christians. <laughs> wow, he got the projection of the betrayer onto him. Wow, that's a lot. That's a heavy news. <laughs> but here she is talking to Judas and laughing, smiling. And, and that's the thing that happens when we start to, to really come clean here about this spiritual issue that we're dealing with, this amnesia issue. We don't get angry because we start to feel the miracles coming through us and we start to feel them bubbling and sparkling on our eyes and, and our if we want to sing, we want to, we want to proclaim our happiness and our joy. We want to profess 
the spirit. We want to, to claim the miracle. And you can see it happening already with Mary. She looks to me 100% more relaxed now than she did when she was dealing with this, I'm going to shame my family idea. I think she got over that hurdle of shaming the family. And now you can see it's a natural smile on her face because she's there with Jesus now. <laughs> so this is the journey. Then as you go along, the doubt thoughts just keep rising up. She just made it past the wife doubt thoughts and the daughter doubt thoughts and the sister doubt thoughts. And then now she's traveling with Jesus and the apostles and she's having her woman doubt thoughts. You see, like the way that Peter looks at her, the way that Peter speaks, you know, those who have not been with us a long time should hold their counsel. Uh, you know, the, the looks like you are an outsider, like they even shared, she will divide us, uh, Peter said, or, uh, you know, this, this feeling, she'll, she'll bring challenges along with us. We, we won't be well accepted. She'll bring shame. The, it's the ego just comes in layers upon layers. As soon as you loosen from the mother doubt thoughts, the sister doubt thoughts, the daughter doubt thoughts, then now it's the woman doubt thoughts. But I want you to see how the Holy Spirit and Jesus work with these doubt thoughts, because when she left the family, she was there surrounded by Jesus and the apostles on the beach. And now, just when she's doing another expression session with Jesus, and she's just very playfully covering her face, and they have like a very light, friendly relationship. It's so beautiful. It's a vibrational connection. And she feels so relaxed in the presence of Jesus that she brings up her, her current doubt thoughts, which now are about uh, being a woman with, with the apostles and, and how she's just saying, you know, they're not really, uh, women are not looked on very well or respected. And then I want you to see how the script is orchestrated to provide the miracle that dispels the Delta. Because right now, they're out there traveling. She's just joined the group. And the next stop they're going to have is, is Cana. I want you to notice everything about this stop at Cana. I want you to notice the town itself. I want you to notice the people that are there. I want you to pay attention to the whole context of the whole situation because this is how the Holy Spirit answers our doubt thoughts. The Holy Spirit brings us miracles to show us that there is another way. And you can only imagine 2,000 years ago, her as a woman joining the apostles and facing every day her own fears and doubt thoughts and how the Spirit and how Jesus, everything is orchestrated to show her you are loved you are respected, you are safe, you can communicate, you can speak up, you can do this, you can do this, and God is with us. That's, that's the message of the Spirit. So enjoy it. I think you're going to enjoy this little visit to Cana. This is like a, a quick little teaching assignment, a teaching uh, gathering here that's going to come in Cana. But to me, this is 
this is more than a teaching gathering. This is this is the answer to the prayer that Mary just shared with Jesus in her in sharing her uh, her expression session. She poured her heart out, and now the Spirit always answers. Okay, well, these recent scenes really have a lot to teach us. It's just packed full because this scene with the with the raising of the dead, um, with the intensity of that scene, and then moving in to the, the Lord's Prayer coming through Jesus, and then the, the people just starting to chant, Messiah, Messiah, you could see um, of the apostles there, you could see Judas was really ready. He's been waiting for that. He's just is like let's let's get this show on the road. You know he could. He's always telling Peter. You know he could part the sea and bring down lightning bolts and and kind of like like uh, from the Bruce Almighty. He could smite the enemies <laughs> with the might of the the Lord. You know let's get this thing over with here. You know he wants the the day of the dead. He wants to see his his wife and his daughter. <laughs> you know, and he's still kind of thinking of it as more of a linear, linear thing. But what seems to be this, the beginnings of like a very vibrant public ministry, you have to understand that, that from Jesus's perspective, the world is not real. Uh, there aren't exciting times in his ministry and disappointing times in his ministry. There's not a good day where everybody's excited and passionate and all of the thoughts in the minds of the disciples start to, you know, oh, we're going to build momentum and we got to we got to reach them and got to hit them in Jerusalem and build slowly build a, a following and this and this. This is nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. And there's not good days for the kingdom and bad days for the kingdom because there aren't any days in the kingdom, you know. There's not good outcomes and bad outcomes. You know, some people say, oh, the crucifixion. Well, Jesus had a bad day. It's, I'm sorry that he was so enlightened and he had to have a bad day like the crucifixion. And then he had a good day where he could just go out with the apostles, a sunny day, do some fishing, lay out there by the sea, enjoy the sunshine. Now, it's just not like that. The whole point for us is to get so inspired by God to let the miracle pour through us. And it's our attitude. It's the way we treat one another is how we experience the kingdom of heaven in daily life. If you're smiling, what's that song? When you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you. And when you're laughing, when you're laughing, the whole world laughs with you. That's the way it is. It's, your mind is, has projected the world. And to the extent that you get into the joy, the lightness, the laughter, to that extent, you are coming closer to that forgiven world, that happy dream 
that that is one step away from the kingdom of heaven, which is just pure bliss, just pure total bliss, total happiness. It's just pure light. But if we recap what happened, basically, first, you know, they're all together, and then it's quite an intense raising the dead scene. Why is because that just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's not your everyday occurrence uh, to see a raising the dead experience. That that is definitely a, a miraculous, out of pattern experience. And then once it happened, wasn't that a beautiful, intimate joining that that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus? Because he was almost. He seemed so emptied of everything at that moment. But at one point, he says, I saw it so clearly. That's the words that Jesus speaks after the raising the dead scene. I saw it so clearly. And what he saw was he saw the darkness that had to be pierced. You know, that was one of our recent um, uh, movies we had called Piercing the Veil. He saw it. I saw it so clearly. And then he said, but the path, it goes into darkness. You see, he was, he was telling us right there that in order to go into the light, you have to go through the darkness. And that moment when he had that raising the dead experience there, and he, he looked very emptied out, and, and Mary was right there for him to, to be with him. He said, I saw it so clearly. The path goes, it goes into darkness. In other words, he knew that he had to face it completely and transcend it, and he knew that it all, everyone did. That, that this was a path of going through the darkness to the light. Now, thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, we've, we have fields of psychology, we have fields of humanistic psychology, transpersonal psychology. We have amazing philosophies, amazing philosophies, non-dual philosophies. We have so many different healing mentalities and modalities but basically, the most important thing to remember from that scene is that you will have to go through seeming darkness. In other words, the unconscious mind is that which was pushed out of awareness because it was too dark to handle. So we pushed the light out of awareness. That's why we have spiritual amnesia. That's why we're afraid of light. It's because we pushed it out of awareness. And now the ego says that the light is death, but the light is not death. <laughs> but the ego says, don't even go down there because, because God will strike you dead for what you did. But Jesus knows the separation wasn't real, that, that God isn't angry, that, that there, is no, uh, there is no retribution, there is no punishment, there is no uh, sense of having to pay a price. Even though in the traditional Christian uh, interpretation of Jesus is like Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who died 
for the sins of mankind and the sins of the human race. That's not it at all. It's just that the, the light was pushed out of awareness and then the darkness was pushed out of awareness. And that's why whenever we feel upset or bad at any moment of any day, it's just this unconscious darkness coming up into awareness for healing. So it's a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but when it comes into awareness, when the fear comes into awareness, it's the darkness coming to the light. And this is the path of forgiveness. You, you have to go through the darkness to the light. Jesus is so clear about this in the Course. He even describes it as like a weaving pattern of light and darkness that the separation of the consciousness seems to be that is very powerful and it, it, it just goes on and on until you transcend the darkness entirely. So Jesus says, doubt along the way will come and go and go to come again, yet is the ending certain. He's asking us to have faith in the certainty of the light. He's asking us to hang with him in faith, to be carried through to the light even when the temptations of the darkness are there, to be able to keep your faith and grow stronger in your faith, to use that rising darkness as, as just opportunity to go deeper into that, that faith. So I thought that was a very important uh, scene for all of us, because you can see he, he totally merges with this man who seemed to die. He merges in spirit, and then the man comes alive right away, and the people gasp and are just absolutely astonished. And then Jesus lays there almost like a conduit that's been used in some glorious universal way. And then when he talks to Mary, he said, ah, he's the path, the path leads into the darkness. That's important. Of course, I like Mary's answer. And I walk it with you. How's that for a mighty companion? When you say the path leads into the darkness and your mighty companion says, yes, and I walk it with you. That's the power of joining. That's the true mind of Mary Magdalene. Because remember, everything in form is a witness. So she was witnessing to the love in Jesus, just like Jesus was witnessing to the love in her. She was witnessing to the love in Jesus. We do this together. We literally walk hand in hand. When we join together on these movies and we have our big Zoom room full, we're all joining together in that love. We all need to have the joy like they had when they were Remember when they were baptizing all the women there? Wasn't that so joyful? They were all, you could see the smiles and the laughter. That was like, a, that was like their pre preview of Pentecost. They were having fun baptizing those that were going to give their entire lives to this calling, to their divine calling. That's a happy thing. That's, that's what the Bible calls, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. They were smiling, they were laughing, they were happy. Our journey is meant to be a happy one because we also know that there will be times when we have to face the darkness. The pathway will take us into the point where the darkness comes up. 
But when the darkness comes up, that's when you need your mighty mates. That's when you need your mighty companions. You know, there was a there was a, a phone commercial years ago that I always liked. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Call them, call up and just say hi. I mean, these are even in our, our phone commercials. That was back in the days before cell phones, but you have to pardon my old parables. But but that was a song. We used, I love that song, <laughs> you know. Like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. You know, that's that's a Coke commercial, but that's still all of us swaying together, being called together to rejoice in the miracle. And this is not a path of prolonged darkness. This is a path of joining in the miracle. I see we, I think we have uh, uh, Wesley and Angelica are here and they're just going through their, their formal marriage, but they have joined together in this purpose. And one of them says, walk with me, uh, let's heal together, let's shine our light. And the other says, yes, and we must face all our darkness <laughs> together. <laughs> and, and that's the truth, because that's, that's it. We are to be inspired, we are to be a witness to love for each other, and we also are to be there as a source of help when we go through the darkness. As Jesus says, whoever is the saner of the two, remember your gratitude to your brother. When the storm gets dark, whoever is the saner of the two, it's your responsibility to remember the light <laughs> for both. And then, of course, it, it transfers. It, it, you, you pierce the veil. You go beyond it. But I think those are very important, uh, important scenes because right there in that whole little montage, it's so... So much, so much there. So now we're we're moving into a still on the next one. My phone is trying to talk to me again. Oh, Siri's joining me. We're we're at the point now where where there has to be a healing of of the authority problem. And you may have noticed in this movie a little bit, Peter is very charismatic and he's planning about the future, what they should do, and he's like, okay, we got to do teaching missions. And I think sometimes when you start to think of teaching missions, you can, you can, the ego is so sneaky that you get into the doer. You start to plan your teaching missions. That's, that's not going to work. <laughs> we have to take it moment by moment. We can't plan this out. We, we truly don't know what's to come. So Jesus is going to now send Peter, his, his, one of his main speakers, the speaker of the kingdom, is going to send Mary and Peter on a little mission. The purpose of the mission is humbleness. The purpose of the mission is to see the gratitude that you owe to your brother and your sister. The purpose of the mission is to forgive hierarchies, to forgive the male-female thing, to forgive the advanced and the new one the newbie and the advanced one, to forgive all the time ideas that block the light. And you know what I'm talking about in these relationships. <laughs> you know how quickly the ego comes to the surface. Soon as you know you're in one, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, the stranger has joined us. <laughs> and the stranger's got to play some kind of game. 
And basically, Jesus is going to send Mary and Peter out on a little mission, just the two of them. He just was saying, you're, you're to go alone. Peter, take Mary and go alone, because that's the best context for the forgiveness and the healing. You know, if you're in a group, it's easy to project onto the group. But if it's just two of you, <laughs> it's not so easy <laughs> to, to, to project it away. You really have to face it and forgive it. So let's enjoy this. Uh, I, I always love it when Jesus sends two people out, whether it doesn't matter who the two are, you know there's a, a reason why he's sending them. You know it's, it's not at random. He's sending them out there so that they can forgive and, and be happy is basically what he wants, to, wants us all to do. So sit back and enjoy this one. We're going on a little excursion now, 2,000 years ago, a man and a woman going out on an excursion sent by Jesus, and you know it's for forgiveness. It's for no other reason but forgiveness. Wow. Now we're getting into the core, the core of it all. But it seems like when Jesus sent them to this, this place, um, again, it was just a backdrop to bring up all of the, the thoughts, starting with Peter's thoughts of, you know, we, we are sending us out, he is sending us out to, to preach, to teach, and to baptize. So basically, he has, in his mind, that's, that's his formula. We're going to preach, to teach, and to baptize. And in his mind, he, oh, he's sending us it's a little town of three to four, uh, two to three hundred people. He's anticipating what he's going to find. And then when they arrive there, you know, it reminds me of the workbook lesson in A Course in Miracles that says, I do not know what anything is for. Everything that we're sent to do is to be, we're to be done through. The spirit is going to use us, to use the puppet of the body in the way that's most helpful in every given situation. And the spirit knows what that is. Humans do not. So it's not like an earthly mission where you, you plan your mission and you say, okay, we're going to go teach and preach and baptize, and we plan, get everything ready. And then they get there, and the Romans have sacked the place. They have burned the place. There are children, that are, and their, their parents are, are either sick or dead or dying in, in the scene of it there. And this is not a scene uh, where you teach and preach and baptize. You see how... This is nothing like what Peter had planned. He, nothing at all like what he had in his mind. And this is the way it goes for all of us on the spiritual journey. If you try to ritualize it, that will fall apart at some point. If you try to plan it out and say, this is what I have to do in the future to, to do my calling, it doesn't work that way. You are told moment by moment, day by day, and you are guided, and then you, you merge with this guidance until you feel like you're not doing anything, like you are no longer the doer. 
you you become so willing to let the spirit come through you to use the puppet of the body that your mind merges with that purpose and that that purpose of forgiveness is the point that is the lesson but that lesson is in the mind and the only way to reach it is to merge and be willing to be used by that purpose that's why people we pray we say jesus use me holy spirit guide me direct me use me uh, mother teresa always talked about service you know just be be a witness for Christ. See the face of Christ in every every child you pick up and every person that you meet. It's it's not like a worldly mission where you plan the mission out ahead of time, because that's going to get rinsed. That's going to get washed away. The whole point is to to see that you're not the doer. That the Spirit's been orchestrating everything for you, and you personally aren't doing anything right or wrong. <laughs> All those past mistakes that you think you made weren't what you thought they, they were. And all those things that you're proud about too, you know, real proud about, like, wow, I did this really, really well. No, that's not the case either. It was all the spirit, just using the symbols of time and space to free your mind from believing you're a body, from to free your mind, your divine mind from believing that you're a human being, that you're flesh and blood, when you're, oh my gosh, you're so much more than flesh and blood, so much more than a body. But we have to get into our calling and our function. And it's the, the healing work. I look, Angie, there's Angie and Wesley. Angie's relaxing there, but it's, it's a full-on forgiveness lesson every day. You know, we're not trying to to sugarcoat it. We're saying, yeah, there's a lot of darkness that will arise, but you make the commitment to spirit, to be used by spirit, to be freed of all the darkness, to be freed of all the false concepts, to be freed of all these future thoughts too. You know, the ego always wants to paint a picture of the future, how the future will look. But what we just saw there with Mary and Peter is they had no idea what they were stepping into. And as soon as she got there, and as soon as she saw what was there, the love in her was so activated. She was going to get water. She was not interested in preaching. She was not interested in teaching. She just had this huge love that got activated in her to be present to look into the eyes of her brothers and sisters, to bring them water, to, to be peaceful in the, in the presence of what was happening. And then at the end, it transferred not only to the people, but when the Roman soldier came up, she did not have a look of fear in her eyes. She did not have a look of, of um of trouble. She had a calm gaze. She gazed at the Roman soldier with complete calmness and strength in her, in her heart. And then he simply gazed back and turned away and, and went. And then at the very end there, it was just Peter and Mary lying down. She was lying down in a, in a field and he was sitting there and you see, after all that other stuff passed through and was released, he started talking about the day that Jesus came 
And his little boy was searching for the tools that he's hidden. And then suddenly it gets so mystical. Peter's like saying, it seemed like this, the world was just like a, like a, like a glass. And the only thing that was real in it was the Christ. That was, that was his calling. He shared his private thoughts, laying there in the, sitting in the grass with Mary, totally relaxed, not preaching, not teaching, not baptizing, just bringing the mask down and saying, oh, that first day when I met Jesus, he knew my name. He called me by name. And it was such an intimate experience that, that really the Christ was the only thing that was real. And that's why he followed Jesus, because of that precious feeling of love. He felt so loved. And then he just, after he told his whole story of meeting Jesus, he said, and Mary, what you did back there, that was just mercy. That was just pure mercy. You see how important that was for him to loosen up from the preaching, baptizing, teaching self-concept. You see how they, that whole trip was orchestrated for him to crack his heart open and to feel God's love. It wasn't about converting people. It wasn't about trying to build followers. Jesus is not interested in an earthly following. <laughs> he doesn't care how many people follow or how many don't. Jesus is not interested in quantity. He's interested in quality. He's interested in the feeling of love, the connection, regardless of the people. He's not, as Mother Teresa once told one of her sisters, she said, I'm not into numbers. <laughs> oh, Mother Teresa, again, there's the love and compassion coming through. I'm not interested in numbers. She's interested in seeing the Christ, seeing the face of Christ in everyone she meets, in every child, in every person she picks up off the street. And that is the living experience of love. That's what we're called to. You don't have to think you have to fulfill some kind of past reference of, of how this is to look. It's how this feels. The joy and the lightness and the love of the feeling is everything. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm so touched. I'm always touched when I watch this movie because I, I do know I was so touched by this whole parable of, of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And, and, and of course, you know, the Dan Brown novels and everything. And so all this stuff about the Da Vinci Code, you know, I, I heard all these modern day kind of things too, Tom Hanks, Da Vinci Code. But when I went over to Southern France, I went to visit a friend of mine, Fabian, uh, who was living in Toulon, France. And uh, one day she said, would you like to go visit Mary, Mary Magdalene's cave? And I said, it's here? And she said, yeah, it's not that far. It's a little bit of a drive to Marseille over there, uh, a little bit uh, west of Toulon. So I said, let's go. So we got a bunch of Course in Miracles friends, and we packed a big French picnic, and we went to the mountain where uh, Mary Magdala was uh, 
had lived the, the maybe the last 25 or 30 years of her life. It was a, it was a grotto, it was a cave. So I was sitting there and we had all maybe seven or eight people and I said, wow, we've got this great French picnic with all the cheese and the wine, you know, all the stuff, chocolate and everything. And I said, I don't think we're going to be able to lug the picnic all the way up <laughs> the mountain to where Mary Magda lived. Why don't we have a celebration at the bottom right here? And of course, they loved it. They said, yes, let's eat, let's eat. So we had we had the cheese and the wine and the chocolate and all the French goodies and everything. Big, happy celebration. Then we hiked up, 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 up to get to this cave where Mary Magdala lived. And sure enough, we got there. Oh, this mystical. We went into the cave and it was deep. It was mystical. And legend has it that she would go stand on top of the cave and just spend her days communing with Jesus in silence. And then she would go in the evenings, she would go and sleep in the cave. So I, I went into the cave and they said, now here's back in the area where we think she slept. So I went way back into the cave where they told me we're married. Ooh, it was mystical. It was, woo. it was deep, deep vibrations in there. And, and this is the mind of Christ. That's all we can say. It's just it, it, it's just a time-space reference of this eternal presence of love and light. And then the more I was there, I asked, well, what, so how did she get from, after Jesus, you know, ascended uh, and disappeared, then there was all this persecution seemingly, and Christians in the early days, it was like, uh, it was like Daniel in the lion's den. If, to be preaching the gospel of Jesus 2,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, this was before cable TV, but still, it was like, it was not a friendly place to be uh, preaching this. But apparently, she did this for a little while. Then she took a boat with some, some, uh, some of ladies from Egypt and, and uh, I think Lazarus' uh, uh, wife and a few others, and they took a boat across the Mediterranean, and I think the sail was even missing, and they, they had a miracle. They landed in what today is called Marseille, near Marseille, uh, France. And then she started and she taught for some decades at a Greek uh, church. It was a Greek church because the Romans controlled the, the, that part of the world, and they didn't like the teachings of Jesus. But in this Greek temple, she, she taught for over two decades. So that was the early Course in Miracles, Marseille, France. <laughs> and some of you heard about the Cathars that came after that. You know, it, it, there's a lot of vibrations, a lot of connections over there. So we're just watching today just a little slice of Mary's life from the time when she leaves Magdala and she follows Jesus through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then there's much more of her life, much, much more to come. But the point I'm making is this little trip that she took with Peter is symbolic of how you need to think of your life. You need to think, I don't know how my life is going to look. That's good. <laughs> That's a good one. You need to think, I want to, to be guided by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to shine my light. Let the Holy Spirit and Jesus use my skills and abilities 
If I can sing, then I want to sing. Sing through me. If I can speak, speak through me. If I can offer comfort and blessing to anybody, anywhere, you go before me and you move through me. You be the miracle moving through me. I give you my consent to use my mind and use the body as a puppet for the glory of, of remembering God. And then you get so into it that you start to forget about the past and you have literally very, very little interest in the future. In fact, the atonement is total escape from the past and a total, complete lack of interest in the future. Imagine if you had a, a complete lack of interest in the future. When you watch the news, you're not interested. What's going to happen with Ukraine? What's going to happen with David and the messengers or the living miracles? What's going to happen with Zoom? How long will these movies go on? You don't care. You don't care. You have no care in the world because you, you lose interest in the future. And isn't that the most disappointing thing when we plan something and it doesn't happen? <laughs> Has anybody been through that where you really plan it, you expect it to be a certain way, and then it doesn't happen? <laughs> but if you live just every morning waking up with your sparkly eyes, like, here's another day, Jesus, let's have some fun. Who do you want me to reach? Is there somebody I'm to call? Is there something I to do? Uh, your life can, the world becomes more like a mandala. You know, you don't try, you may think, I'm going to have a spiritual community. I need a house and a building, and I need people to be in the building and this and this. And the big rake can come along and wipe out your entire plan in one moment. It's all wiped. But you don't need to care is what I'm saying is because the light is in you. The light's just going to shine through you with whatever the circumstances, whatever the places, whoever the people are. It's all orchestrated. Nothing's random. Nothing's an accident. And just like with Peter and Mary, you know, they did not know what they were going to face. But it turned profound. It turned with them lying there in the grass and just talking about God and Jesus and love and how that's, the, that's what's real. And that's, that's the beautiful simplicity of it all. We don't have to have some kind of big plans for the future. If, in fact, if this is your last breath on earth, why not be happy and joyful? <laughs> if it was your last day, wouldn't you want to just be joyful and uh, be, be lifted up and merge in with that light? You know, it's not about trying to, uh, to work something out. One time I went to Australia and I, I was having lunch with a young man and uh, we were just having a happy lunch. And then he said, he said, you know, you have a great responsibility on your shoulders. And I said, I do. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you, you have a mission on earth and you need to reach the young people. He, he went into the whole thing describing um, how I had a, such a huge responsibility. And I was visiting another friend of mine who was a mystic down there in uh, Australia. Her name was Asira. And he said, and she has a great responsibility too. 
And he said, you two better fulfill your responsibilities. And I was like laughing. And, and I said, you know, I don't even think I have a mission anymore. I'm just, I'm just to be happy. I think that's, that's the whole point is to be happy. I don't like to think of linear missions either, because that's just a joke too. Uh, you know, it's just another metaphor. Then you got to, oh, you better fulfill your mission. And oh, you better not fail. I think, I don't know. I told him, I don't, I don't think I have a mission. I'm just here to forgive and be happy right now. <laughs> he, he didn't like that. Though. He thought I had a mission. But anyway, we can see from this movie that, that the love is underneath and that Jesus is calling us to, to literally to be happy and to be content in the moment, you know, to not try to get all into these time ideas. Because remember, the ego invented time. So we're here to just be happy servants of the Lord, you know, until we merge so fully and we realize that we are the Christ. We are the Lord. <laughs> That's got to be the greatest realization in the end, you know. Happy surprise, you are the Lord, the Lord of life, you know. That's got to be the greatest uh, realization there could be. Okay, here we go. We got, we still got some scenes to see here with this after uh, Peter and uh, Mary come back from their little uh, trip. <laughs> wow, it feels like we're right there. 2,000 years ago, he's walked into this temple. It's like going to a, a sports arena, like a watch a, a football game or an NBA game or a, a sporting event. And wow, you can just see it. And, and also you can see that everybody is just acting out their beliefs. Like Peter, he likes the preaching part. He likes the baptizing part. And this is like, wow, this is a great arena. He's like walking around, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Hey, come join us. You know, he's like thinking, this is fantastic. We could scoop up a lot of followers here. This is like, a, this is a primo opportunity for uh, picking up followers here in the, the temple. And you can see Judas is like saying, I'm coming to you soon. He's talking to his wife and his uh, child. He wants to re be reunited um, with them in the, in the kingdom. And he's visualizing, he's literally visualizing being with them. He's just got a, a look of calm assurance on his face. And it's like, I'm coming to you soon. In his mind, it's going to be some kind of big event. Like Jesus is just going to kind of hold his staff up and maybe draw down some lightning bolts and and all the ones that are not in line, he's just going to watch them just destroy, you know, almost like the days of Moses and the, you know, the 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 plagues coming and, and just wiping out the Pharaoh and all the ones, you know, he's he's looking for a traditional Old Testament big showdown scene where he gets united with his loved one, with his with his child and with his wife. And then you see Jesus and he looks like he's in the prayer and reflection, but he made a bolt. He went straight through the streets to come to the temple. So this is the famous scene, you know, where uh, people always think that Jesus got really angry, but I always feel like this is just a scene where he's just gonna make a point. The point is always forgiveness. The point is always grace, honoring God, the, the creator, uh, honoring love. And, and apparently 
in the temple. It's a temple of commerce. We can see there's coins being passed, buying and selling of animals to sacrifice animals for God. Uh, it's a place of commerce where the, you have to pay the temple tax to get in and on this and this. It's, it's in some ways, it's almost like a religious sports arena where you've got, you got to pay your money to get in and then you better do the right things. You know, instead of buying the popcorn and the beer and the, and the hot dog, you have to pay for some sacrificing of animals to, to appease God. You know, we, we may think nowadays that that's pretty crazy and, and it is very egoic. So I just look at this scene here is where Jesus is going to have to just, just kind of set things straight, you know, just use it as a good contrast experience. I mean, the crucifixion was a contrast experience, wasn't it? Everybody's still talking about that one. And then they, they always tell me, you know, well, he was really mad inside there. I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus was really angry. I think he was, he was just kind of firm and, and making a point. You know, and, and he was kind of, this was kind of a get thee behind me Satan moment <laughs> where he was like saying enough with the, the money and enough with the, uh, the burning the animals. You know, it's a little, it's a, that's a little extreme. So here we go. You got to love these movies because they take you right back there. You can only imagine uh, if you were the Christ, let's put you in, in Jesus's shoes. If you were going in there and you were going to make a point. <laughs> how you might do it. Okay, let's, let's enjoy. <laughs> okay, these are so rich, these scenes, because what we now know from the Course is basically that, that the Christ is incapable of being angry. There's one paragraph where Jesus says, um, Anger is never justified. And then the next paragraph, he starts off the first line in the next paragraph with pardon is always justified. Why is anger never justified is because anger can only arise from the belief in mistreatment. It can only arise from the belief in abuse. It can only arise from the belief in being unfairly treated. It can only arise from a condition of ego beliefs where you think something was done that is not fair. And what is fair is what we call in this world justice. And Jesus has a, has a section in the text called the justice of heaven, where he's basically telling us that the entire projected world is a projection of our belief in mistreatment, abuse, um, being unfairly treated. Uh, the idea that something can happen to you apart from your will and apart from God's will, that is the ego. That is the ego belief. And the world is interpreted by the ego as being an unjust world but it has its own scales of what's, what's fair and just. And in fact, uh, Jesus said, basically, there is no universal agreement on earth because the ego made the earth as a projection of this uh, 
belief in in uh, misjustice, I'll call it. So when people ask me about that scene in the temple and and they said, would Jesus really have started throwing coins all over the place? I think I would do it. <laughs> That's what I would do too. if I was in that situation. Uh, if I saw blood all over the place and there was all these symbols of sacrificing animals, you know, for for part of the whole scheme, I would Jesus have actually knocked over a table? I would. <laughs> but you can you I said you can actually throw coins and knock over a table without being angry. If you're making a point that God does not demand sacrifice that money and commerce is not the way to God. It's, it's not the proper venue of prayer. Prayer is in the inner chambers of your heart. You know, prayer is where you, you purify your heart, your, your, your mind, your soul. Prayer is where you reach that state of mind. My mind holds only what I think with God, which is a a, a lesson that's repeated over and over in the course. My mind holds only with what I think with God. You see how the prayer is everything, but it's not about sacrifice and it's not about commerce. So I think this scenes we just saw was really, uh, some people have said, well, you know, he got really angry in the temple. And I said, I could knock over a temple and throw some coins without being angry. In fact, I probably would have a lot of fun doing it too. And also, it's just about this idea, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. If I defend myself, I'm attacked. That only an unhealed healer would see a problem in the world and get angry at that problem in the world. So now we're coming full circle to what I was talking about with Ukraine. Remember at the beginning, I was talking about Ukraine and Russia, and I was saying, as long as you interpret mistreatment, as long as you interpret someone doing something wrong to somebody, that is an egoic interpretation that's based on one thing, and that one thing is the belief in attack. The one thing that is characteristic of Jesus Christ is he is teaching us in the Bible, in the New Testament, and in the course, you know, turn the other cheek. If somebody smites you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Forgive and be forgiven. If somebody asks for your coat, offer them your cloak as well. And in the course, he's basically saying total defenselessness is your safety. Only attack thoughts threaten your invulnerability. Like I mentioned at the beginning, that if you believe attack is real, you believe the ego is real. Because guess what? God does not create attack. <laughs> if God created attack, then anger would be justified. But God creates in spirit. Mary Magdala, Jesus, all the saints and mystics were teaching us to forgive. Even Gandhi, who was dealing with his political views around India and, and Great Britain, still advocated nonviolence, and he knew in his heart that he needed to purify his heart. 
don't you think Gandhi was Gandhi was praying all the time to see the world with peaceful eyes? He Gandhi never would say he was anti-British. He just said that people should have the ability to choose to live in peace. And all the mystics and saints, and Jesus included, is saying we we have that ability to choose peace. We actually can choose peace. So if you do the workbook lessons of A Course in Miracles, you start off with nothing I see means anything, number one. Number two, I've given everything I see, all the meaning it has for me. And then you roll on. If you roll on far enough, it won't be long you'll reach lesson number 23 in A Course in Miracles. And then Jesus gives it to us real straight. Jesus says in lesson number 23, I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. There's our touchdown. There's our score. You better believe Jesus knows what he's talking about. He reached a state of mind where he just said, judgment is not my father's will. Grievances are not my father's will. Opinions are not my father's will. My father's will is love joy, happiness, and whoa, he completely aligned with that. And what did he see in that moment of self-realization? He saw that attack was impossible. Not that it was right or wrong, not that it was good or bad. It was unreal because God didn't create it. You see, that's the key of spiritual awakening. You just have to practice joining with the mind of Christ, which is our own mind, joining with the love of God, and just open your heart up to an experience that attack is impossible. What does that mean? It just means you have never been attacked ever. I admit bodies can seem to attack. Bodies can seem to frown and, and say things and do things. And bodies can even seem to harm or, or seem to destroy other bodies. But remember, God did not create the bodies. This is a misperception based on the belief in attack. So this is the key to spiritual awakening, is just to really, really honestly take it into your heart that that attack is impossible. I think you can see that you would be indescribably happy if you realized that attack was impossible, because that would mean grievances are impossible. That would mean everyone that you ever believed harmed you, or everyone that you ever believed you harmed, would all be in the same category. Jesus says in the, in the Manual for Teachers, he says, the body's eyes will continue to report differences but the healed mind will put them into one category. They are not real. You know, if you went to a stage play, a Shakespeare play, and with Othello and all the different ones, and you had a lot of emotions while you were watching the stage play, it must mean from lesson number two, I've given everything I see, all the meaning it has for me, that I must still believe in attack if I'm concerned about what's happening in the play. But if I give myself over to be used as a miracle worker, I'm not saying, you know, one day you're just going to wake up and twinkle your, your nose and go, oh, attack's not real. I'm saying 
if you give yourself over to be used by God to shine your light, to bring joy and happiness, to teach your own invulnerability that nobody has ever harmed you, you could realize why Jesus had that relaxed smile on his face. Even when Mary was in her darkest hour and she was laying there despondent on the floor, and she, he came in very casually and said, what, what, what do the people say happened to you? And she said, oh, they think I'm, I'm possessed of a demon. And she says, um, whatever, it, whatever it is, it's been with me all my life, that, that thing that they're all pointing at. And then she said, I, sometimes I, I wish it was a demon because it's too mysterious. She doesn't understand why she feels so uh, emptied of, of any hope for the world. And then in the end, Jesus very softly says, there are no demons here. <laughs> He's just the truth, just happily delivering the truth. There are no demons here. That's how he seemed to cast away demons. That's how he raised the dead, so to speak, is he just remembered the truth of God's love, which has no opposite. And God is definitely not a God of attack. The, God doesn't even know what attack or punishment mean. Those are just ego uh, inventions. So we're getting to the point now where it seems like in the scenes of the world that things are getting kind of... Uh, charged and lively. We can see Peter's all excited. He's hoping to draw in more followers, more believers. We can see Judas, uh, he's, he wants to, to meet uh, Sarah, his, his wife, and his, his daughter. He, that's, that's his whole focus is, let's get this over with. Let's bring this kingdom of heaven here. Let's, let's make sure all the enemies are crushed and let me meet my, my wife and my child again. That's his agenda. And then when that doesn't happen, you can see him pleading in front of Jesus, like, you could, you could end this. You could do this in a moment. And you didn't. You know, like, what, what are you waiting for? You know, let's just wipe away all the enemies and let's get this over with in might and glory. But he's still seeing it from a personal, earthly perspective because he's got an, an expectation of how it's supposed to go, and it's not going that way at all. So you can see where all of his enthusiasm can turn into hurt and pain and anger when expectations are not fulfilled. You see, people just act out our expectation, and so does the whole world. If we expect the reign of God to come and and show itself in terms of the glory of the world, and somehow we expect enemies to be crushed or people to be destroyed or killed, Jesus is telling us, no, the world will end in laughter because it was a place of sorrow. The world will end in, in, in a happy dream of non-judgment where you realize that you are clueless about everything. The world will end when you finally see that, that you didn't really understand the world at all, then the world can end in laughter and in, in lightness. But the, but the ego always has an agenda based on its beliefs. And the apostles are going through a great disillusionment now. 
because they were sure Jesus was going to reign uh, more like a like a Marvel comic movie. He was going to just reign. He was going to bring his laser beam out of his head, and he was going to make everything succumb to the power of God in a personal way, and that's not what he was teaching. So after Judas gives his whole thing, like, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? Then Mary says, perhaps we misunderstood. You see the wisdom there? Perhaps we misunderstood. Perhaps we misunderstood the kingdom of God. Maybe it's not a linear thing at all. Maybe we've been putting all our hopes and expectations that the form would shift. And she just says, perhaps we have not under, we have misunderstood the kingdom of God. And she can't even complete her sentence because Judas interrupts her. No, no. And then he tells, he says to Jesus, tell her that she's wrong. You see, you see the investment in the kingdom being a certain way in form. And she's just saying, perhaps we have misunderstood. All of us can, can learn a lot from that little scene. Every time we feel upset with anybody or with what's happening in the world or whatever, it would be good to hear Mother, hear Mary Magdalene's beautiful, beautiful words, perhaps I have misunderstood. Perhaps I have misunderstood the kingdom of God. Perhaps I need to be shown. I need to have it revealed to me, this love and light. Perhaps that's the humble thing. Please show me, God. Show me the truth. Show me the light. So, yeah, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. I can hardly stay in my chair because Mary Magdala is showing us she's She's pulling back the curtain on the whole thing. She's like in the Wizard of Oz. She's like Toto. She's really pulling the curtain here. And, and we can see that the apostles are just acting out their own beliefs. And the world has to look a certain way. And Jesus is not teaching that. He's, he's teaching us that the world's an illusion. He's not teaching us that some outcomes should be pursued and some outcomes should be avoided. He's saying all the outcomes of the world are the same. And he says that in, in the text where he said, uh, men have died when they have seen that, that um, all of the roadways of the world lead to death. That's in the course. But to me, that's not depressing because if all the roadways of the world lead to death, then he's just pointing me in another direction. He's pointing me away from trying to pursue successes as the world. Why do I want to have live in a mansion when I could simply be who I am? Why do I want to have millions of dollars when I could simply be who I am? Why do I even want skills and abilities? For what purpose? When I could forgive and be who I am. Why would I want to pursue anything of the world when I'm, I'm perfect as I am already? You see what I'm talking about. You see how now you can relax. Oh, the perfection's guaranteed. <laughs> it's the ego's pursuits that, that are the trick, not, not the truth, not the spirit. So here we go. We're, uh, it's getting to speed up a little bit here, but um, I, I also want to make one 
share one last thing. I loved it when Jesus's mother said, you love my son. And you could see the look on Mary Magdalene's face like, you got that right, Mama. <laughs> you, you got that. You got that right. And then Mother Mary comes in with, and like me, you must learn to, to let him go, to uh, let him go. And what she was basically saying is the famous teachings of all the great mystics and saints is, is love is not attached to form. The, the universal love that Jesus represented is not in the body of that man or not in the body of, of any man or woman. The love is within us. The love is who we are. And when we get attached to a specific form, <laughs> then we have to be willing to let that go. So thank you, Mother Mary. Wow, brief appearance. You just give us the biggest non-dual teaching of all time. Uh, you love my son, and you have to, like me, be prepared to lose him, is what she says. Basically, you have to be able to let go of the form in order to remember that you are that presence. And that presence is always with you. So don't get too attached to the form. And then the next thing that happens is, wow, there they are in the temple. And, and you saw the look on Mary's face like, uh-oh, here we go. Mother Mary was just, <laughs> wow, that was just one scene before. Now Mother Mary's got me ready to uh, lose, lose the man <laughs> already. Uh, and that's pretty strong stuff. This is pretty deep, deep teachings. Oh my, <laughs> you can see the look on her face. She knows. <laughs> she knows. She knows. You know, it's, it's all about a recognition of everything is pointed towards one recognition and that's transcendence of the body. It's pointing to our spiritual reality. So, so she, she sees that same image of her body kind of floating in the depths. And then she sees this image on the surface. And then she gets up, she rises up and goes goes to the cross to be able to witness that scene. But, you know, for many, many uh, centuries, people have said, isn't it interesting that, that the first one to see the resurrected Jesus was Mary. And when people have said, wow, out of all the people, the apostles and all the people and Mother Mary, it's Mary Magdala that, that sees him in the garden and comes rushing back to the upper room to the apostles that are all bolted and the do door is bolted and barred and she she comes back saying he is risen <laughs> but whatever we perceive is just what we're ready to perceive whatever we see as a symbol even jesus saying to mary you are my witness but Whatever witnesses we perceive is our symbolic way of receiving the truth and receiving the love. So Mary is ready to see beyond the body 
And even the, going back to the, the body of Jesus on the cross, you know, she has this calm look in her face. And even I would say a little bit of a teardrop, but a faint, a, a very faint smile that's even there. And that is showing us a very, very, very different way of looking at the world. Because our sadness, our grief, our disappointment, our pain, our hurt all come from an interpretation that our mind is making. And the whole Course in Miracles is just saying there is another way of looking at the world. There is, a, there is another perspective. There is another interpretation of all events that you behold through your five senses. I think one of the ones that always touches me is this in the, in the manual for teachers where Jesus says, patience is natural to those who trust. No outcome already seen or yet to come can cause them fear. And he also says uh, earlier in the book that um, infinite patience brings immediate results. <laughs> you see, he's having so much fun playing with words. Infinite patience <laughs> brings immediate results. But he's, he's saying it's love. It's all love. Whatever you've been afraid of, afraid of dying, <clears throat> afraid of illness, afraid of loss, you you don't see what is real and true, but he's offering his heart saying, I, I'm, I want to share this with you and I'll wait. I'll wait as long as it takes for you because I so much want to share this beautiful light with you. I want to share this vision. So we'll get back to the movie now. I think this these are the final scenes of the movie, but I always love the look on uh, Mary Magdalene's face when she's right there at the foot of the cross, uh, because it's it's definitely not a face of grief. I think she took what Mother Mary told her to heart, because she's she's just got this beautiful. I like to think of it as a tear of gratitude and joy rolling down her cheek for for the wisdom that was imparted to her and that she was able to receive. Ah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Ah, wow, thank you, Mary. Mary really has given us a, a taste of the mystical teachings of Jesus. And Basically, we, we get a much greater glimpse into the message of A Course in Miracles through these teachings and through her demonstration, which really clarifies a lot of, we'll say, misperceptions around the life of Jesus and misperceptions around time and, and religion, different theologies the various different interpretations of the Gospels, and it takes us more into uh, just an inspiration to, 
to be prayerful, very, very devoted and prayerful, and to use our hearts and minds to align with this, this amazing presence, this I am presence. So um, I just feel like that that is our, our treat, that is our reminder uh, to, to really, whenever she comes to mind or whenever Jesus comes to mind, to, to remember the simplicity of it. And uh, quite interesting when uh, they joined together there on the outdoors, you know, they, <clears throat> he, he was again saying, you want to know what it feels like. And then they both uh, burst into laughter and you know, you're not going to see many films about Jesus where, where there's two laughing, the laughing Jesus and the, and the laughing Mary. But that's exactly what Jesus is teaching in the Course. The world will end in laughter because it was a place of sorrow. And that kind of gives us a, a witness and a demonstration of, of the lightheartedness. They had such a lighthearted relationship. They were just so connected. They were so vibrationally connected. And then even in the point of uh, a death and a resurrection of the body, uh, they still had that lighthearted connection where they could laugh together. And that is something you can just keep in your heart as a, as a memory as, of keeping your faith strong. Uh, I think, you know, as you look through history too, a lot of the Cathars were very mystical too, but from everything I've read about the Cathars living in uh, the mountains there in uh, southern France and northern Spain, you know, they were very influenced by, by these teachings that filtered through the centuries and made it over to, uh, to Europe and uh, the Middle East. And it just shows that, that what she said at the end is, um, you are all my brothers, and I love you all, and I will not be silent. So she had the faith to move on and speak and teach from her uh, experience, from her state of mind. And uh, she did it so beautifully. And that goes way beyond the scope of this movie, but uh, I think it's just, it's really a great inspiration for everybody to follow your heart, to not be able, afraid to, to speak up what you feel in your heart, what the spirit is telling you, what your intuition is telling you. Uh, you know, in, in the Star Trek terminology, it's they say to boldly go where no man has ever gone. We can we can take that from Star Trek. <laughs> We're boldly going where no man or woman <laughs> has ever gone, which is transcendence. And and yet we take it every day. We we follow our guidance every day. You follow your joy, you follow your inspiration, you you stay in the prayer of being truly helpful. And then as your devotion grows stronger and stronger in that state of mind, we'll call it that purpose, then everything is, is perfectly orchestrated. So uh, I even I even could see how even when she was at the, the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus had his night of prayer. And then in the morning hours, 
um, she just, in terms of time and space, she just got hit in the head and knocked out. So she missed a lot of the, the scenes leading up to dragging the cross through the, through the, the, the streets. And I see that was a blessing too. There was no need for her to watch all of that. Uh, just to come, she came running, she saw what she needed to see, and then she had to again go inward and face her emotions around seeing uh, the, the Jesus with, with the blood and carrying the cross and the crowds and having the smells and everything. And then in the end, um, kind of recline, go inward, be very prayerful, and then go, go to the, the scene of the cross where she, she could face that scene one more time. And everything led her to the recognition of, of what he was truly teaching. Because he did say, be of good cheer. You know, he didn't say, be of good cheer, except when my body's bloody. <laughs> he didn't say, be of good cheer, except when uh, I am beaten and torn. He, he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, meaning he overcame the ego. So that's a beautiful message for all of us to remember that our, our love and our connection with God is not circumstance dependent. The circumstances are just our opportunities for forgiveness, of still reading some kind of an ego meaning onto something where it doesn't, it doesn't have any meaning. So thank you all. That was, wow, that felt like we went through uh, the birth canal <laughs> today, the, the, the mental psychic birth canal, <laughs> not a light movie, but uh, really intimate movie. I mean, I feel it was very uh, telepathic and, and very heartfelt. And I'm so glad you uh, tuned in with me and we could walk through this together. For those of you that uh, have been inspired by by Mary Magdalene, you know, that what a beautiful uh, confirmation of what you felt in your heart, you know, all along. And, and here it is shown to us in, in symbols that we can, we can keep with us in our hearts. So thank you all. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. I know there'll be some beautiful discussions and prayers coming out of this and I'm with you all the way with this, and ah, so precious. <laughs>